0: All I want for Podmas is Wabam Bought a mic And the Oscar goes to The Doughboys Wait, there's been a mistake We bought a mic You guys won I'm a superstitious man and if some unlucky accident should befall me while recording this podcast, if I were to have my mic cut out, or if I were to lose my voice, or should I fall ill and be unable to complete this, then I'm going to blame some of the people in this podcast. Mm-hmm. And that, I do not forgive. That was a pretty good impression. Thank you. That wasn't bad. Hello, hello, I and welcome. I did rehearse that for about like four days. Yeah, I was going to say.
1: Welcome! Yeah, I was going to say. We but a Mic! Okay. A very special Oscar episode. Every Best Picture winner colon the big Oscar and episode. Get
0: ready. We are doing an hour on every single episode, on every single movie to win Best Picture. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. Actually, I should say... That.
1: Colin Hunters <laughs> big <laughs> yeah, Oscar. Yeah, Hunter Hunter I, needs I, name like first billing like in the
0: in the title. Yeah, I get first billing in the podcast. Like, like, you, yeah. switch
1: <laughs> you know when a movie's just like
0: uh you know,
1: Tom Hanks' Toy Story.
0: This is really like a gift to the fans because we keep we get letters what like we get handwritten letters like I don't know, like <laughs> once yeah, yeah, 3 4 times a day they're just like Hunter doesn't talk enough. Like the podcast is great, but like I feel like he just gets lost in the conversation. Yeah, they call sometimes. you know
1: they, they they call you producer Hunter because they think you're just like you know in the in the behind the glass in the booth. Just yeah. like hey guys, um, if I could just say you guys thing. chime in, and we're like shut the then.
0: fuck up, Hunter. Um, you get so now this is a whole this is like an episode to me.
1: You get not only your own episode, but you get a celebration of the end of a entire project
0: yes um so a quick recap i uh i started a journey um to watch every single movie that ever won best picture this year and i'm just gonna start with a little a little something that i wrote that this is the reason why i started it all wait
1: i should say before i'm Ernest, (laughs) and this is Shanks.
0: okay oh Skimble. it's sweet okay this is gonna be a good pod Skimble
1: Shanks yeah, wanted to show up for this yeah. one
0: well i mean that's the only oscars that Shanks is gonna show up to so
1: right just rub it in why don't you um so hunter you've watched like 700 movies uh, why to, to prepare for this
0: one episode yes um mostly because i like attention if we're really getting down to the core of it um and why, I just want things to be here, about you know? me. So, yeah, you know. You watched every best picture winner ever.
1: When did, when was the first Oscars?
0: The first Oscars took place it, well Hunter,
1: If you look this up, I no, swear to god. No,
0: well the first movie ever to win was Wings in 1927.
1: Okay, so there have been what like 93
0: or something. 92 Oscars. Yeah. Um the first 2 years of the Academy Awards because The fact of the matter is not a lot of movies are made. Uh, They would do, like, the 1997 year and the 1998 year. And then they would do, like, the 19... Or the 1927, 1928 year, and then, like, the 1929, 1930 year. And Mm -hmm. then it kind of moved on to being once a year. I don't want to get too into the actual history of the Academy itself because, technically, they started out with two Best Picture awards. There was, like, a, like achievement in cinema award and then there was almost it was almost kind of like a popular oscar type of thing like they had a technical achievement award and then they had a actual best movie award i didn't watch all the technical achievement uh award movies because those aren't really like canon for being best picture they're not canon for this episode that's for sure yes um yeah, and you know what? I've seen enough.
1: This is going to be the the definitive historical document about the Oscars.
0: Yeah, um, just to give a quick overview, so you listeners know what uh, we're gonna get into. We're gonna we're gonna have some talk about where the Academy is today. Talk about the themes of the Oscars. I'm gonna go in with some of my biggest surprises, some of my biggest disappointments. Uh, we're then gonna do my top ten films. The completely uh, subjective top ten. That oh, I put so you're together. saving that for the very end? No, no. It's um, going to be like it's sandwiched in the middle. Yes, because I'm going to need your guys' help with uh, something that I have scheduled at the end. There. Um, we're oh my do god, this outline. Yeah, it's a. It's no, a like dude, I said, I ignore know. ignore most of it. Most of it's just for me. Just so, don't, don't even worry about that. There. We're after we do the top ten, we're going to do the bottom five um, movies. That are just fucking terrible. Don't look ahead in the notes because I don't Hunter, want you guys to be, Hunter guys to be has, surprised by he this. He sent
1: me in earnest a 19, 18 page <laughs> Google Doc that is like text heavy.
0: <laughs> like I said, this can is we, mostly for me. Can we get me. this like
1: peer reviewed and published as like a can scientific document? Can I get this I tattooed
0: on my back? So okay well, fi- to finish up the recap so then we're gonna do some <laughs> some bottom five uh some bad beats which there's a lot i only wrote down like a dozen or so you could go through every one and then uh, with the help of you guys we are going to pick the best oscar movie year ever okay um so that's a quick overview that's
1: a lot of pressure on me
0: I think I think you can do it.
1: I don't know. I think you should.
0: I, you've seen like what twelve Oscar movies? That's yeah. Close enough. Just um, let
1: me know whenever you want me to talk. Okay. Are any of these lines mine? <laughs> Are
0: they all it's mostly on me. The black
1: text is mine. Um. Okay. So I'm what I am seeing is um, a sort of like manifesto to start the, to start this thing off. Yes. So, is that going
0: to be a verbatim? Go uh, for it. Yeah. Reading February 9th. 2020 history was made for the first time in 92 years, a non-English language film had won best picture at the Academy Awards. Aside from the Titanic achievement, that was a foreign language film winning the top prize at the ceremony. There was a debate that began to circulate following the night of February 9th, 2020 is parasite. One of the best films to ever win best picture. (gasps) That question is the one that started me on this quest. Mm. And over the last ten months, I have watched and reviewed every single film to win Best Picture in chronological order. i the choice for choosing chronological order was to try and find themes that we'll dig into later on. Um, three hundred and four days, fifty eight thousand five hundred and fifty three words later. I have completed my journey. One of the main reasons that I started embarking on this course, aside from trying to figure out where parasite lied in the pantheon hold on a second you're you're alluring to
1: your letterbox reviews right now right yes all of those reviews you wrote yes so go ahead and follow and check out hunter's letterbox all right i guess i will
0: yeah go ahead drew's been he i've followed him for years now and he will not follow me back maybe this will be the and my my reviews is just like the
1: oak be farting
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're writing like really thoughtful anyway so one of the reasons why i started doing this was to like, A, of course, shed some light on some classics that I had never seen because there's so many movies that we'll get into, like movies that are known as being some of the greatest movies ever made, like The Lawrence of Arabia's that I just have never seen because I've never given myself a reason to watch them, to be honest. And B, to better understand what it is the Academy's looking for whenever awarding are the top prize at ceremony. Every year, it's always baffling to me what movies are nominated, what movies are left off. And I thought that this would be the greatest way to figure out what it is that the Academy is looking for. When I started this quest of mine, COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic was not a thing. Um, I think, Ernest, you uh, were the first person to... Uh, bring it up in any kind of group chat that we were in, you're like, yo, this this Chinese, this Wuhan virus is starting to get out of hand. You're like, yo, I heard I it's can... just like the flu. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Everything was open relatively, working relatively smoothly.
1: I mean, we had we had a huge party here at my house yeah. to celebrate the Oscars, yeah, and we saw February. Parasite win Best Picture. Yeah. And, that was this year. And you were serving that weird, like, raw bat thing. <laughs> pangolin yeah
0: pangolin (laughs) it was like a pangolin pate but i mean if you go back to that time of course movie theaters were still open and opening again heavy parentheses on this relatively smoothly um and we were already looking forward to movies like in the heights dune a west side story all of which we thought were going to be front runners for this upcoming 93rd academy awards Quiet Place Two. Quiet yes. Place. I don't know if that's run, gonna run get Oscars. I okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Look what you made lead do. I made our one live studio audience member leave because I'm talking my monologue for too long. Hmm. Of course, no, that happened. Um, instead, the virus reached the United States, resulting in over 18 million cases and 300 thousand deaths and counting. And America went on lockdown. Hmm. And Businesses were on lockdown, and movie theaters were on lockdown, and more than movie theaters, the movie industry as a whole reached a standstill. I bring this up because I don't think that I would have been able to do this whole watch through if it wasn't for this year. We'd be going to the movies every fucking week. Yeah, I'd be busy watching fucking hot garbage like New Mutants in theaters so we could review it on this Mm -hmm. podcast. The Crude's New Age. Yeah, I'm I I don't know if I would have some, seen that one even if things were what open. You Hunter, come the fuck on. Of course you would have. <laughs> but what does open this up for discussion is that this is going to be the weirdest award season in history this year. Like we've been talking the 2021 Oscars. Yes, the 2021, the Ninth Third Academy Awards. Like we've been talking a lot about the movie industry as a whole, but what do you guys think the state of the academy is in 2020? It's the same as every award show meaningless. It doesn't matter. We
1: don't need awards to tell us what to watch but uh, we used to or people used to and that's that's what I'm most interested in tonight and I have written down like the the biggest thing I want to go off of is the the telecast. And we'll get to that probably in the latter half of this episode. But there was a time when people tuned in to watch
0: the Oscars. You are right. I mean, like things even taking the pandemic aside, like ratings were declining. But then again, all of live television is declining, not just the Academy Awards. If you even look like the Super Bowl is the one thing that will stand strong. Otherwise... Yeah, don't they get like a hundred million yeah, every that's, year? That's the one thing that will never die is that people will have watched that live. Um, and we're reaching this kind of critical impasse with the Academy where there's the old Academy versus the young Academy. I mean, just look, Moonlight won in 2016 and two years later, Green Book wins. Like there is ju- this back and forth bipolar nature to what the Academy is right now. Not to mention, like that, we talked about this on the last episode, but the line of what even is a mer- movie is getting blurred more and more with, with small acts. With small acts, like Mangrove is going to be at the Emmys this year, but like things like Defy Bloods and Mank, which also just went straight to a streaming service, are awards eligible for the Oscars? The reason why I bring that up is, do the Oscars matter? Um. I mean,
1: on a broader sense, no, because like I just said, we don't need award shows to tell us what to watch, but in a historical sense, yes, because you still need a marker um, to gauge like what was notable for every year and award shows are the easiest way to do that. And we haven't figured out a way to replace that, but in terms of like what to watch, in terms of like the best stuff. Like if, if you're telling me like, what do I watch? I want to watch the best stuff. Fifteen years ago, I would tell you to watch the Oscars. But now, no. We don't need we Here's, don't need the Oscars to tell us what to watch. I think that the low key, the most important facet of the Oscars is that movie uh producers still think that they matter. And that's who greenlights movies. So because they want to win awards so like parasite was a a big hit already and it was you know bong joon ho was uh he he was going to get you know more films greenlit because of its success but once it won best picture now bong joon ho can do anything he wants forever Mm -hmm. that is a huge huge difference um so it does matter and that's why i do care about what wins because winners are rewarded in hollywood it doesn't matter if they're rewarded by like you know, just random people watching their movies more. What matters is if people watch their next movie because it is greenlit. It gets them in the meeting and it gets them to get the checks signed. Yeah, and I, the project. Yeah, I think people don't talk about that enough. That's
0: why they still matter a lot, even if like no one is talking about them. So I actually think that you hit the nail right on the head that I was trying to hmm. get to, is that I think that it does matter because that is is the barometer for which future movies are made and also sure like when things like green light green book uh <laughs> green light whenever things uh like green book win best picture it kind of comes and goes same as shape of water it won best picture and they kind of just nobody really thought about it again but when moonlight won best picture or when parasite won best picture it was a big fucking deal Like, it was able to put up on streaming sites everywhere, like, winner of the Academy Award for Best Picture. And I know people who are not movie people who saw Parasite because they saw that it won. And these are, like, just random chads on the street who are just like, oh, yeah, I saw Parasite. I liked it. They aren't going to read into any of the deep messages of the movie or anything, but they're like, I like this movie. I checked it out because it had notoriety to it.
1: And now they think that they're into film because they saw Parasite.
0: There's also like it's really underrated or at least underplayed what the Oscar bump does for finances, mm-hmm. which is shifting a little bit more with things going more to streaming and more to digital. But I mean, I I have a couple examples of here written on this outline, one of them being Midnight Cowboy, which opened at a gross of only sixty one thousand dollars in its first week Um And then the week after it was uh, a nominate it after it got a nomination for best picture jumped up to 5.3 and over the course of its run, whenever it was re-released back in theaters after winning best picture, it closed at the box office at 44.8 million for an X rated movie. So you might just be thinking like, okay, well that was 1969. What the fuck else were people doing except for going to the movies? If you look at green book in 2017, It only grossed 5.4 million on its opening weekend. And Hollywood Deadline, I pulled up a whole article from them and they said that it was bombing. They said that it was far from where it needed to be to be considered a success. Like that it was not doing good when it opened. When it opened. Uh, Whenever the Golden Globes nominations came out, it got a little bit of a bump. Whenever following the announcement of the Oscar nominations, it jumped back up to 5.4 million. So it never really dropped off because it released at that sweet period of time of the early November window when nominations just kind of kept trickling in that it never sustained a big drop off, which is why movies have kind of capitalized on releasing in that late October, early November window because then they can just keep collecting nominations and keep getting that little bump to keep their movie in theaters. The weekend after Green Book won Best Picture – The movie made four point seven million in its sixteenth weekend, which is insane. That's almost very, very minimal drop off from its opening weekend. And it ended up making 85 million domestic and 321 million dollars worldwide. After it won Best Picture. After it won Best Picture. And this was a movie that it grossed five million on its opening weekend. So even in twenty eighteen, like that this is only just a couple of years ago. A new movie can still come out and it gets starts to get that word of mouth and it can still be a huge success at the box office if it gets the notoriety of awards acclaim. So it does matter. So it does matter, basically.
1: And, and so what you've done is it does matter.
0: <laughs> yes. I, I basically did this to prove to you guys and to myself uh, who say, uh, why do you care about the Academy Awards? They don't matter, that they actually do matter and you should care about them.
1: But will they continue to matter in a post-COVID world?
0: Well, we that's we'll have to see. I mean, that's that's kind of TBD, and we don't really know. That's why this is going to be one of the weirdest, yeah, award seasons well, ever. Also, the bigger
1: question is like, will movies matter?
0: Not yes. not the Oscars. That's a whole nother discussion yeah. because yeah.
1: it's like because they already don't as, I, half as much as they used to. I know you still haven't seen it. And I really want you to, Drew, but Tenant. Tenet. I was just listening to this the slash film cast discuss Tenet, and they made such a good fucking point that that movie would be so much better if it was stretched out to eight hours. Ooh, as a TV miniseries. And Uh-oh. I could not agree more.
0: Yeah. Honestly, I do agree with that. Um do you but no one hates TV.
1: Hunter. So, but for the nature of that story, it would serve it yeah. better. It would have been co-
0: coherent, maybe. I don't know. Hunter, off top, Oscar winner
1: that would be most improved by making it into a miniseries.
0: Ooh. Of the 92. So, <laughs> Crash. <laughs> Yeah, well, honestly, it's mostly because I just want to stay in that world. Like, give me 12 more hours yeah. of the crashing. Make that a series. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just starting to feel empathy for other races. Really? So it's actually, it's going to be a movie that I talk about later on here is the first one that comes to mind. It's a movie called All About Eve, uh, directed by make! Joseph Mankowitz, Herman Mankiewicz's wow. son. Um, and it's kind of. Wait. Oh, oh, Joseph
1: Mankowitz, Okay. Yeah. I,
0: I no, thought were, I thought you were, you were thinking, about
1: you were thinking of Joseph I would, Mangalev. No, I thought you meant I meant the actual um Jesus Citizen <laughs> King. Jesus, guy. Jesus Christ.
0: No, no, that's that's Herman Mankiewicz. Um <laughs> No um It's from nineteen fifty. So why I all believe? about um, why all about Eve? So basically, because it follows an arc of a lot of mini-series today. Uh, I guess I'll I'll go ahead and hit it now before we go on, but pretty much the story just follows uh, this girl who's like very wide-eyed, kind of girl-next-door style, and she parlays like this coattailing that she does of other people and just being so charming into her own career and ends up becoming very manipulative and c- conniving. It's kind of like... The female Breaking Bad in a lot of ways of like she gets corrupted by the system that she is trying to infiltrate. I'm sold. Like it's a great movie. It's 1950, right? Yeah, 1950. Um, I I highlight it's it's aged really well. Like it's really, really watchable. It's almost like I think that this Mank family has something. I want to see if there's any other people of importance in that family. I can only think Joseph is the only mank that comes to mind. All I can think enough. of is,
1: no, Joseph is a
0: TCM guy, right? <laughs> no, that's, that's the grandson. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. Um, before we get into that, because that actually was one of my big surprises, um, I want to talk about what are the themes of an Oscar movie? and specifically, actually, I feel
1: like it changes
0: from era to era. Is is that not that also the biggest just thing? It changes from
1: year to year.
0: So it does, and also it doesn't. There's certain things that kind of go in and out of style, but a lot of Oscar bait follows very similar archetypes. And the modern Oscar bait movie really started in 1980s or so. That's when you start to get... All of the movies that like this type of movie that would go on to be everything. You get things like Gandhi with the biopic terms of endearment, that family drama, which speaking of things that go in out of style, family drama is kind of becoming less and less. That's why movies like Marriage Story are so great, because they're unique now. Um, Amadeus from Milos Foreman, which is the stylized period piece platoon the war uh, like as a classic war film that has something to say about war itself um when was the last time we saw one of those i mean 1917
1: yeah but to, to win yeah the year 1917 was the last time we saw one of those
0: well it, so it's not even about that they actually win it's just that they get nominations they get a mm, bunch of same with dunker clouds. got a shit ton of nominations it didn't end up winning Best Picture, but still. Well, but but
1: what are you putting more weight on? Are you putting more weight on nominations or wins?
0: Well, kind of both. I mean, I, I, I'm not really putting more weight on one or the other. It's just kind of these are what the Academy looks for when they're trying to look for like a movie of like, is this good? That's why movies like Silence of the Lambs are an anomaly and not that that is not it's it's the exception that proves the rule in a lot of ways like because if you look through silence of the lambs is nothing like any other movie that ever won best picture (laughs) like it that's aside from just being made by a filmmaker who everybody kind of looked at each other and was like oh yeah this is one of the greatest working filmmakers of our time let's give him an oscar like just for that one
1: movie though
0: yeah other than that though like that movie is very different. There's plenty of movies. Moonlight is a little bit of an exception. It still has kind of the classic drama elements, but it's very, very stylized in a way that kind of movies that are more style over substance, and I don't say that to diminish Moonlight in any kind of way, but movies like that aren't always recognized for the Academy. That's more of like a Guild Awards thing or like critic Circle thing. Like, there's a reason why David Lynch doesn't have any Oscar wins. Um... But I say all this to say that, like, I think that when people use the term Oscar bait, they associate it with being a bad thing. They associate it with this idea of like, oh, you're just trying to win awards. And I really like after looking through, there's really good and bad Oscar bait. Like they kind of offset each other for what is i good agree or bad this day. is this is a good point that i think gets lost a lot of the time yeah like if you look at like war films like sure pearl harbor is an oscar bait movie it but, did and, end up and you love well. it no. <laughs> i i don't know if i've made my thoughts clear on pearl harbor that would be a whole other podcast that i think that's one of the just worst watch the movie the team america world, world Series and you'll get it yes <laughs> um but then you also have things like dunkirk or 1917 there's like the costume drama thing that people always seem to just be like, oh, it'll just get the exactly. production design like, thing.
1: Like Portrait of a Lady or something like The Favorite yes. you would think are
0: Oscar bait, but they're just really great movies. Well, they are Oscar bait. Like, I yeah. think that they are Oscar bait, but again, I don't think that that's a bad thing. And one of my favorite Oscar bait things is it's Guy, and yes, it's always a man at the end of his ropes, or he's like the troubled lead, and you have like what I say are like the worst side of things, which is like the King's speech or American beauty. But on the other side, you have things like Birdman or unforgiven. The Clint Eastwood film that are really great films about a guy troubled white groups. man. Yes, that's troubled white man is a Oscar bait thing. Um, the family drama, uh, like I said before, it's kind of a dying thing, but even this year we have it with hillbilly elegy, which is, Please don't I, let that get any. Nominations. I refuse to watch that movie. And I know that I'm probably going to have to end up watching it because it's going to be nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Please. Oscar gods. Don't let it happen. I will see if there even is a God. Um, <laughs> uh, the historical dramas, there's kind of the mediocre movies like Chariots of Fire. And then there's also Schindler's List or Titanic, like Titanic. Also romance was a big Oscar movie in the nineties. Titanic That's almost a,
1: doesn't count as a as Titanic is its own thing. Like it can't, you can't pigeonhole it into its. It's not just romance. It's it not doesn't just historical. No,
0: it isn't. But it makes sense. Like I feel like that movie would not have won Best Picture if it didn't come out in the time that was in. If you look at the movies that also won Best Picture around that time, you have things like The English Patient or like Shakespeare and love like romances were in with the Academy at that time, mostly because of Harvey Weinstein and grant this isn't Titanic is not a Harvey James Weinstein. Cameron joint. baby. It's all Jamie. It's all Jamie cammy. Um, Jim cam, Jim cam, Jim cam. Um, but I think that that's why that movie resonated with the Academy so much that, and that was kind of, and broke all the box office. Records. Yeah. That was the pinnacle of popularity meeting with prestige prestige and critical acclaim if you'll allow
1: me i'm going to go ahead and spoil the top 10 telecast ratings
0: okay yeah 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 go ahead
1: titanic is number 1
0: oh yeah Makes the
1: sense. 70th academy awards march 23rd of 1998 titanic
0: swept what what was it 11 11 o- it wasn't eleven Oscars. Eleven Oscars would be tied for the most Oscars. That was ever. Return.
1: That was Return of the King.
0: So maybe I would have been her.
1: So maybe it was 10. 57.25 million people tuned in to see James Cameron exclaim at the top of his lungs,
0: I'm the king of the world. Yeah. And uh the Academy hated that and they turned on him but shortly. It's, it's but it's it's to this
1: day. The most watched Oscars telecast.
0: So I have a couple. So it did actually, you were right. It did win um, 11 awards. There you go. Um, I was incorrect on that, actually. Um, And it was nominated for 14 Academy Awards, tying all about Eve, actually, for the most Oscar nominations in history. It's kind of, I feel like it's partially, it's the thing with Titanic and specifically with the um, 70th Academy Awards is it is this perfect blend of opportunity and quality meeting. So, excuse me, not only do you have this movie that is a gargantuan success, but also it's very well crafted. It's made by an auteur. It's loved by critics and people alike. And also by nineteen eighty seven, almost everybody had a television in their homes. And it was before... It was really even before cable became a huge thing, so you only you still had a limited number of cables uh, of uh, channels. You didn't have like four hundred channels to scroll through. So you're saying that double VHS was out before the Oscars aired? No, I'm saying that because I'm saying that people didn't have anything better to watch. Oh, so they went to the movies. People went to the movies, and then people tuned in for the Oscar telecast. And that was the thing with Titanic. the thing is with views, it's based on how many televisions around the country have this on. Are watching. So it's just about if there's more surplus of televisions in homes and there's less things to watch, plus you already like this thing that is on and is nominated for a bunch of awards, you're going to tune in to watch that. And when it comes to something like – parasite most people
1: are just watching the recaps on twitter
0: yes exactly they're not exactly like i think that that's that's why i hate uh whenever people uh, this isn't anything against you i'm not trying to anything against you but it's mostly for like things in sports when people try and say like oh the nba is failing because they'll never get the ratings that the nfl has and it's like well a lot of different well and a lot of nba people are younger and they're watching shit on their phone and on their laptop. And that's not counting as like a view because they're not watching it through a traditional cable package. Yeah, Like, like for example, drew
1: had the game on, on an illegal stream. Yeah. Earlier drew was on.
0: stream. It, drew was completely tuning me out for most what? of time I was doing this. Huh? And he, score, drew? no, I
1: was just, I was just actually looking up because, um, I remember there being a conflict of interest with the Oscars last year, and I was like, wait, was that the same day as the fucking Super Bowl? It was not.
0: No. It was no, no, it, it was, was it
1: was like the same like it was two weeks. Week, a it, week, it was one a week, week apart, apart yeah. on yeah. a Sunday. Uh oh. two maybe a month before we shut down from COVID. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
0: It was a month. It was like probably like six weeks yeah. before everything went on lockdown.
1: God damn. That was around the same time Kobe Bryant died. Yeah. God damn it
0: That was a uh, Man Fuck 2020
1: I can't believe we're still in it man. We're almost Anyways done. I can't believe 2020 took Herman Mankiewicz man <laughs> And make sure you hug your homies
0: Speaking of hugging your homies Another classic version of Oscar bait is uh Kend- you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry Let me do a transition <laughs> Is like The whole like the american experience yeah like we're going to capture what it is to be an american and i didn't even write down examples because there's like thousands of examples of this movie that are fucking awful really really bad but then again you get a move you get movies like no country for old men or there will be blood there will be blood is one of my favorite movies of the last 20 years that's an oscar bait movie i don't whether pta intended for it to be or not it still has checks all the boxes can in an I, oscar bait movie can
1: i just say the first movie that comes up to my brain when you say that what Force gum. yes oh God. that is
0: perfect. that is just
1: like a bait movie like that movie is just bait for everything you know it's just like a, a viewer bait oscar bait it's a it's a movie bait
0: you know i don't want to get too sidetracked by ro- talking about robert zemeckis i'll plug it again <laughs> but uh I uh, I would guess it on another podcast, uh, Zillennial Canon, which you can also hear episodes from Ernest and Drew on, and we talked about uh, the Polar Express, and I just don't know what happened to Robert Zemeckis in the 21st century. Some people,
1: some people lose the sauce, man, and that's but I guess. So. Here's, Here's I the thing about Forrest Gump.
0: I think Forrest Gump might be bad, but I still love it. Exactly I
1: like I like to watch The thing people love The fuck out of this movie <laughs> I like
0: to, why like to I watch remember,
1: I remember I remember like loving the fuck Out of this movie but I'm so Terrified of revisiting it
0: In the words of uh in the words of Ray Romano and the big sick You go to the internet people don't like Forrest Gump Best freaking movie ever <laughs> I forgot he said that that's
1: very funny Like what's the <laughs> that's what's great the line plot? What's the plot of this movie He's dumb and he does a a bunch of things.
0: It's a nonsense. Yeah, he's dumb and
1: he just kind of stumbles his way into every historical moment. And he gets a girl pregnant and
0: ruins her life. Well, that is a perfect movie for this American experience. (laughs) That's what you. Yeah,
1: that is the male American dream: is to have like an IQ of like (laughs) thirty, and just happen to be really special. (laughs) And like you know, all you want to do is is fuck this really hot girl, but then she has like AIDS,
0: and then you do it anyway. Yeah, I also, but then the kids not like you. (laughs) So I also, because it's weird. Forrest Gump fits into a lot of different types of Oscar bait. Like it's such a wide movie because also I have it on here. One best actor. I have it on here as an example of an epic. Cause if you look at it, I know you think of an epic and you think of like, the ben-hurs or the ten commandments but like that is an epic it's a huge sprawling story that is a no it's totally you're right and it's an american
1: epic more than anything it is so americana also uh, a bold take i'll give right now is i think that he actually deserved best actor for that because you should just inherently feel really uneasy watching him in that movie like and i cannot imagine anyone else in that role and me not being like oh my god what is he doing like he's he's a retarded guy like, I'm, like <laughs> it. that's all i would be able to think about so like how did he do it you know hanks hanks is incredible he's special that's what i'm saying because he is doing a voice that like when you just hear you're like i can't watch a whole movie with this guy like and this, he does this he voice.
0: narrates the whole yeah movie and then too. you
1: watch it and you're like well i watched it and uh I guess some people just talk like that. No one talks like that. <laughs> no, nobody
0: <laughs> in history has ever talked Life like that. Life is
1: like a box of Oscars. <laughs> There's no You never know which one's yeah. gonna be awarded to you. Um anyway, I think I think that is another good point though, is that what and and a lot of movies are I think that it's very common for your best picture winner to be a mix of two of these categories of bait movies. Yes. Like American yes. Beauty.
0: Definitely, exact. That's another movie that is like a story of the. Tr- it's a troubled man story, but also is like this is what life is like in suburbia. Yeah, this is America right now, but then also it's like
1: it's like no, it's this is America, privilege. This is forty nice. year old men right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> I think okay. So last week off pod, I went up to Hunter and I was like, "Do you want to know my categories?" And he was like, "Yes." And one of the categories that I prepared for tonight that you said you had already counted for is most egregious upset. And I feel like I feel like when you're talking about most egregious upset, most people would just think about like what was nominated that year that lost. But when you look at American Beauty. And you think about, like, the year 1999 and all of the possible movies that could have won Best Picture that year. And you think, are you fucking kidding me? That's the movie that won that incredible year for
0: filmmaking? That one? I mean, it's insane. 1999 specifically, like, is a rough year for the academy like there's just so many movies that aren't just like great movies they're also drastically influential movies like that inspire what movies are today i mean you have things like magnolia not nominated virgin suicides not nominated october sky uh talented mr ripley eyes wide shut like (laughs) the sixth sense which i think sixth sense actually was nominated for best picture and it received a bunch of awards, um, as well as the Green Mile. But uh, So, the, the nominees that year
1: were American Beauty, which one? Green Mile. Yes, Green Mile. Sixth Sense. The Insider, Michael Mann mm-hmm. picture, mm-hmm. and Cider House Rules. So, no Matrix, no Being John Malkovich. No election. No Fight Club. Like, there were so many movies, and obviously, this is the biggest fucking roadblock you get with the oscars that even when it comes to the nominees they
0: just don't get it well so it's also it is this thing where it's this shifting academy because so things like rom-coms used to be big with the academy if you look back in the 30s 40s 50s 60s there was a lot of rom-coms that were nominated and won i watched plenty of rom-coms while i was watching this but like a movie like 10 things I hate about you. I fucking love that movie. I think that movie is incredible. I think that Heath Ledger is that 99. um, Yeah, that's 99 Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles are both incredible. in that movie came out in 1999, never stood a fucking chance to get award nominations. Like never in a million years was that going to be nominated for best picture. But if it was made in, I don't know, like 1946, then it actually would have had a legitimate shot of at least getting nominated.
1: That's Yeah, that's a bummer, because I, I think that Clueless legitimately deserved. Yes, Clueless is another good one. That, that movie is near perfect.
0: So another thing that I feel like every year, whenever we talk about potential Oscar movies, something, we just pencil in whatever, what's the new musical this year? That's going to be nominated for a bunch of, that's probably going to win Best Picture. And musicals are another thing that is a dying Oscar bait thing. I mean, if you look at the last movie, the last musical to win Best Picture, do you guys know what it is without looking on the outline? Uh, La La Land for about 16 seconds. Wait, what do you ask? The last musical to win Best Picture.
1: Uh, having not looked at the outline, I would just guess, I don't know, 2002 is Chicago.
0: Oh, wow. That was damn true. That was fucking spot on. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, it hasn't. It hasn't won best picture in 18 years. And yet I feel like every year when it's just like, oh, Oh, wait, the guy who made the King Speech is making Les Miserables? Pencil that in. That's my best picture. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Oh, Damien Chazelle, a guy who made Whiplash, is making a musical? Guaranteed. We're just going to check that in. We're just going to so, give him the Oscar without even we're checking gonna, the envelope. We're take it away. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I almost, I was thinking about that while I was writing this. I was like, are we sure that like In the Heights or West Side Story was just going to win best picture this no, year in a normal year? Not. Like, because if you looked at most predictions early on, it was just like, it's it's West Side Story. They're going to honor it. They're going to bring it back. Spielberg is going to return to glory with this. And it's like, one, West Side Story already won best picture back in the Like, yeah, it already won it that's, once. That's
1: so true. How that's, can you give... Oh that may, that pisses me off. Well, How can you give the remake of a previous winner the same award? And, well, it's no, just, number it's, number 2 with that one particularly is if you've read anything about Spielberg's current process, he shows up to the set and it's all been done. Yeah, yeah plug he does not do He anything. says action and cut. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. He is clocked out, man. <laughs> so yeah, no. I I agree though because uh I think that they're Even in the film world, I would I would guess that I think there might be a silent majority of people who just don't really go for musicals. I don't go for musicals. I like some, but I typically
0: I don't like musicals. There is a very high variance on musicals. Like I think over, I think that there might be like musicals might have the highest variance of any genre.
1: Well, there were were there more like in the old days that won.
0: Yes, but there's. Some God awful musicals back in the day. And then there's also some fucking banger classics. Like there's shit like the sound of music and singing in the rain that are like all timers singing in the rain personally is it's in probably my top 50 movies of all time. I think it's the greatest musical ever put on film. Yeah. I saw that when I was a kid and I liked it. It Never. Of course it did not win best picture. Sound of music did, um, which is another, that's like number two for me for greatest musical ever. Yeah. It's also in a lot of ways, Oscar bait. If you think. About yes. It. No, exactly. Like that is an Oscar bait thing. That's what I'm getting at here yeah. is that these, the last uh, Oscar bait category that I wanted to talk about is, um, and I know that I'm going to say this and people immediately kind of like shudder to themselves. It's the race and class stories. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so immediately your mind goes to drive Miss Daisy crash green book, but there's also parasite. Yeah. There's also moonlight They're like these are there's a right way to do it there is a right way and a wrong way as with every single movie well that's why when i
1: use the word the term oscar bait i only am referring to movies that have these components yet are not good
0: see and that's why I, just, that, I think that we should come up with a different term because i think that these movies that i'm listening that are good are oscar bait by definition
1: yeah that's yeah that's what i'm saying because i only say oscar bait when i'm talking about like Foxcatcher, which i think just fell short of everything it yes. wanted to be
0: that's a that's a great one on no, right.
1: hold on hold on a second i object to the fact of calling moonlight oscar bait because barry jenkins set out to make a very specific film that aligned with the themes and the ideas that he had in his brain regardless of what trophy he could take home that's that's fair i think that one is is further away than uh some of the other ones that you've listed hunter yeah but uh, I think the term itself should only be used for movies that fall short of winning Oscars. I th-
0: Well, I think. Or, or just don't deserve Oscars. So what's Oscars. funny about uh, Moonlight, and I feel like this has also happened to a bunch of past nominees and winners, is that they've retroactively become Oscar bait. They were the not Oscar bait when yeah. they happened, but now you get a series of movies that come out. And they are considered Oscar bait. Because they're, they're trying to replicate. Exactly. The, yeah. Exactly. that. That's a whole nother thing. If you want to talk about, I mean, people say that things like uh, like sports, it's like a copycat league or something like that. The movie industry is the exact same way. People mm-hmm. see, they're like, people respond to A, B, and C. We're going to put those elements. We're going to put a new face on them, put a new coat on this bad boy, and then ship yeah, it back this, out
1: again. I, yeah. This is something that's said by a lot of like create successful creatives is there's actually no such thing as an original idea. Like you don't, you don't just come up with something. I mean, if you
0: want to go like every single movie, you can trace back through its elements and it's just going to eventually end up with Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And if if you're savvy,
1: you just, you hop on the right wave. And if you truly are one in a billion, then you really actually come up with your own shit. But even that has to happen to coincide with a cultural moment. Like you don't. It's very rare that a moment is created wholesale with no reference to modern culture. That doesn't happen. That is a myth. Uh, so yeah, it's all it's all based on other shit because we are humans with memories. If you're watching movies, you're going to base your ideas off movies. And what works works. If people like a certain thing, well, that's, they're going to yeah, like more of that if thing. If you're yeah. yeah, because also if you're successful enough to make a movie worth millions of dollars, that means that you're smart and you're probably you probably have sort of a capitalist brain, which you know, you're thinking what is something that, you know, it aligns with my sensibilities, but also it's going to do well. So, I don't want to make some dog shit.
0: So leading into that capitalist brain, That's a whole other thing that seems to happen with every Academy Awards that the wider media general people tend to always create this false dichotomy between two movies of like, you're either in A camp or you're in B camp and there's no fucking space between. You are either a parasite guy or you're a 1917 guy and don't talk to me if you're the other one. It's like. Almost politicizing these movies. When in actuality, um, a lot of the times that two movies are put together like they're both just great in their own right. Like, yeah, you can also like you can love There Will Be Blood and also love No Country for Old Men. I and would, that's okay. Like, I, w- that's, I
1: wouldn't trust anyone who only likes one of those. <laughs> but because those movies rule.
0: Or like, but I remember with Moonlight and La La Land is the most. That, like, stratified that I remember audiences being. Specifically, it was the Moonlight crowd who was very vehemently just like, you must like Moonlight, and you must think that that is the best picture. Otherwise, if you think La La Land is best picture, then blah, blah, blah. Like, and that always happens. And don't get me wrong. I love Moonlight. But like also you can just also love La La Land independent of what your thoughts are
1: on this other movie. Well, this is I mean, this is a problem that like any uh, award show for film is going to run into, particularly the Oscars. It's the biggest one. Uh, This is going to sound stupid, but I've been watching this show called Ink Masters, which is a competition reality show that is based on tattooing. Mm -hmm. And it ultimately is such a pointless exercise of a TV show because it like once you get past the basics of like technique it's all about like if you just like what they did versus if you didn't and how are you going to have three judges and if two of them like it then uh you're good if if only one then you're out but it's like that that's so that's, it's so subjective yeah like, who exactly. cares? like the oscars are just like a blown up version of that same thing where it's like All of these people have pretty – they have technical skill, so you're just grading, like, if you like it.
0: So what's even more idiotic than whenever there's two movies that are great that people pit against each other is when there's two movies that are just okay that people pit against each other? Like um, Shape of Water and Three Billboards? Yeah, that's my example that I have on here that I think, like – I mean don't come here I did rewatch Shape of Water and I was just like okay I like it kind of whenever you rewatch it it's like okay I do get why I really love this movie the first time even if it doesn't leave that much of a lasting imprint on you yeah I like Shape of Water um, I happened to get out that year man like I felt it, that's yeah that's okay so but it
1: was too last we're gonna minute. talk
0: about that uh whenever I talk about some of the best Oscar years ever because if you go down the line in the 2017 Academy Awards it is insane whenever you talk about get out Lady Bird call me by your name oh, dunk Kirk, Blade Runner 2049. Like, it is unbelievable the movie. And the two out. front runners were <laughs> <The> Shape <laughs> of Water and Three Billboards, which are the two worst movies in that category. I, I will, like,
1: I'm more, I guess, biased because I just vehemently hate Three Billboards. Oh,
0: yeah. No, don't get me wrong. I do hate Three Billboards the- more, too. But it's still just like. It's so funny. I remember, because we all watched, we've been watching the Academy Awards since, uh, I think 2016. I think the Moonlight La La Land was the first one I was, we did together. I um, was uh,
1: abroad for that year. Yeah. I missed it. So, I missed Leo winning his Oscar. I was yeah. so sad.
0: No, that's 20. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about for the 2015 season. I know we were together for the Moonlight La La Land because I've... Yeah. Yeah. I vividly remember us turning off the broadcast with no La-La it shut land down. Won. Cause your fucking computer died. Oh yeah. And we were just like, <laughs> yeah, la la land one. That's it. And then like five <laughs> minutes passed and you were on Twitter and you're like, Oh, oh my God. Moonlight one. And then we all huddled around your phone to see them like, see the fuck up happen. So we missed the biggest moment in Academy Awards history. Wow. Get, I did get, get a Mac, but even Would still you, Hunter,
1: <laughs> I did want to I did want to say though to that point about the dichotomy, the duality, the one the us versus them shit. Mm-hmm. I feel like so much of that is because of the internet. I don't think that this was the case with the Oscars. I mean, if you're like 50 plus right into the show and tell us, but I feel like this wasn't the case before the internet was a thing. I think that we, when we're using the internet more and more in the 21st century, we are become, becoming more computer-like and more machine-like with our thinking.
0: Yeah, it's ones and zeros. It's, exactly. It's, it's binary. It's it's same thing if you look at the kind of the political landscape. That has infected exactly. everything where it's like, you are one or the other, and don't you fucking talk to me if you are the other.
1: You, we're, we're embedding ourselves into our phones, into our computers, and we're behaving more and more like machines, and it shows itself in the awards race so much more
0: prevalently than it was before the internet was a thing. So this there was still dichotomies that were created, but they were. It was more spread had, out. You had right? to look harder for them. Yeah, really. Like it was more like. If you read somebody from the New York Times and then you read somebody from an L.A. newspaper, then like they would have like two kind of warring reviews with each other where they would talk up this one movie and a little bit bastardize this other movie that was nominated. But again, if this is pre internet age, you probably weren't reading both of them all the time, like. However, just it's gravitated easy. To whatever now I can just look on Wikipedia with. and I can see like, okay, this person said this about movie, but this person said this about this movie. Like, but if you're just living in fucking Topeka, Kansas or something, you don't have any idea that this shit is happening on like either sides of the coast. Like you just kind of see a movie and you like it or you don't. But you are right that it is probably mostly due to the Internet that has led to a much more drastic polarization taking yes. place
1: especially when you see something like Parasite versus or no, not really Parasite. Parasite was, was kind of I was the saying runaway. That it's mostly
0: like Moonlight. Like I remember. Moonlight La La Land. Yeah. Yes. Because I remember specifically that. People, Which was the same. It was people, the election especially year. Especially Moonlight people like were vehemently like you must love Moonlight or else you are a bad person. Like that Hunter's, was. Uh, Hunter's always talking about these Moonlight people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's just the the most vehement that I remember, but I will say, going back to the Shape of Water 3 billboards, I remember that night, whenever we saw it, probably one of the most drunk experiences that I've ever had that night, Uh Gaia likes to tell this story because I guess I like I came home and I was walking my dog and I I (laughs) just was I was walking around. I was playing a podcast at full volume at two in the morning and I was smoking a cigarette and I was digging around the grass because I dropped my glasses. I don't remember any of this because I was blackout drunk. I didn't. Thankfully, she drove me. Um, this was post I remember, moonlight win. No, this was post Shape of Water win. Oh, because okay. we were so excited that Shape of Water won Best Picture. We were so happy because we we're like, fuck three billboards, fuck that movie. Shout out to Guillermo del Toro. It's like this is one of Guillermo del Toro's worst movies. I don't know. Like it's it's like mid tier Guillermo del Toro. It's not a bad movie. No, I, again, I still really like Shape of Water, but it's just funny that how passionate we were for that movie. So. Um, let's take a quick break and then we'll actually get into the specific movies themselves with surprises and disappointments.
1: Oh, baby. I'm excited.
0: So now that we have talked about the Academy as a whole, I want to get into some more specific movies. Um, starting with the good. Let's start with some of my biggest surprises. These were movies that really blew me away that I had little to no expectations for a little to no to no expectations that i would actually enjoy um that did not crack my top 10 uh just to give a shine to some more of these movies i'm gonna go in chronological order of these the first one we're gonna go all the way back to 1930 with the movie that won the third annual academy awards and that is a movie called all quiet on the western front Mm -hmm. uh directed by lewis milestone um this movie. So you're doing surprises first. Yes. Um, this is a movie that like really blew me away. Like I was just kind of watching. It. I was like, all right, it's the first war film to be nominated to win best picture, whatever. It's probably going to age really bad. And like, I was just kind of expecting it to be a, a slog because the first two Academy Awards were a slog. Uh, and I was really starting to rethink this whole idea that I had about late February. Um, um, but it really floored me. Like this is a movie that follows soldiers during world war one. And what makes it special? What's made it age really well is that it's following these soldiers as they are developing PTSD in real time. Like it is a very visceral movie, which for a movie for a time period in which they're shooting all this on a sound stage in Hollywood, like they're not doing any of this out in the fields or anything like that. Of course There are some technical things where you're like, okay, a person just like flopped on the ground there and nothing exploded next to them. But like the actual story itself is really good and really engaging. And it's, you can definitely see, I know whenever I was doing some research about this movie, um, Francis Ford Coppola cited this for Apocalypse Now that he watched this movie. And you can kind of see the groundwork for all of the great war films of the 20th century. There's a lot of Saving Private Ryan in this movie. Um, especially like kind of the second, third act of Saving Private Ryan. That that whole trauma of shell shock and being in the weeds with all of this. So I definitely do. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to find out there. How long is it? Um... I don't have the runtime. time. Oh, well, how long did for it me? feel like? You know what I mean? I think it's like two, two and a half hours. It is.
1: Yeah, it is 2.32.
0: Yeah. Again, I don't have my letterbox pulled up in front of me with all the times there. For Vince too, I
1: mean, so. this must have been a breath of fresh air for you, though, because you would started from the beginning and then, you yes. know, there's a lot of a sh- lot of doo doo. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. We're going to talk about one of those movies later on, but not in a uh, light way. Um, Well, which which Oscars was this? Was this like the, the third? This the is the third, third yeah. Academy Award. So this is pretty early on. Um, The first movie, Wings, is a silent film. Um. Anybody uh, have any ideas? Uh, It's the only one of two silent films to everyone. Best picture. Anybody got the other one?
1: The artist. Yeah, there you go. That was was an easy
0: one. I thought about doing more trivia and I was like, you guys are not going to fucking know the trivia. Am I right? We saw it when in Jeopardy. Hey, I got one. (laughs) There you go. Feel free
1: to ask any of your scrapped questions. I'm sure Um, I'll get more.
0: (laughs) Next surprise. I'll just uh, real quick. uh, I already mentioned it and talked about All About Eve, directed by Joseph Mankiewicz. Mank- Mank, Mank himself, Mank's son. um, Joe Joe Mank. Joe Mank. Uh, No, this was made by Mank's brother, actually, Uh, who we see in the movie. That makes more sense. I I was thinking about it with the time period in 1950, and I was like, I'm wrong. So I'm correcting myself here. This is Joseph Mankiewicz, who we do see in the movie Mank. He's just that that little brother that pesky little brother who's coming around with less of a drug and alcohol addiction as yeah he's he, yeah he's
1: like that he's like a hot guy in mank yeah he he like doesn't look he looks like he would be he's, he's like a pretty decent looking dude he looks like time. he would be gary oldman's like grandson in that movie <laughs> yeah so I, I think that might be why you thought that
0: <laughs> <laughs> well and it turns out he just doesn't have alcoholism face yeah um Yeah, no, I definitely highly recommend All About Eve, like even more so than uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, because I do think that that movie, it runs into like the classic movie things that a lot of older movies do, where it's just like you can admire it, but it still feels dated. All About Eve is a movie that I'm surprised that it hasn't been remade, to be honest, because it has a lot of themes that could very, very easily be adapted into a modern setting. Um, Betty Davis is the star of it. How she does is it, just uh, so goddamn charming. Hey, she's got Betty Davis as Margot. And then Ann Baxter, who I'm not super familiar with her works, plays Eve, plays this super coy girl who slowly she's just so like nonchalant about everything, and you're like, she can never be a threat to anything. And she really tries to come in and take Betty Davis's spot from her.
1: Mm. How does it um compare to all about
0: Steve? No. <laughs> True. Oh. God damn it! Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't hold a candle to all about Steve. <laughs> Thank God, that movie rocks. You're right. We uh, why get all about even? We got all I know, about. But Steve. we'll we'll get to that in the
1: snub section, right? Yes, drew yeah, Drew's slippery slope towards being a full on Bradley Cooper apologist. <laughs> <is> just <laughs> it's
0: just Bradley Cooper.
1: Apologist. Quickly, just going down the fucking rabbit hole. You know, you know why I'll never be is because I don't like Rocket Raccoon i think i think that voice he does is just stupid that
0: is a bad voice yeah right it's just like wow
1: that just sounds like an actor trying to be new yorker no it sounds what a raccoon would sound like if he talked shut Shut the fuck up
0: (laughs) you're a bradley cooper apologist anyway so next up one of my biggest surprises this is actually a tie um which you're gonna notice i cheat a little bit in here and i don't care this is my fucking this is my list i'm allowed to do what i want um and i'm not gonna apologize for it no that's okay uh, next up, I have a tie, and it's Ben-Hur and Lawrence of Arabia. Um, these are both two movies that are regarded as capital C classic films that you like have to see if you're trying to be a filmmaker and all this kind of stuff. And I was really hesitant to go into these movies. One, because I was like... Uh, can't really hold up that well, and also, um, they vary between being like three and a half to four and a half hours long. Ooh, yes, um, maybe that was the answer if you ask me. What should be a miniseries instead of a movie? You don't even have to cut anything. Yeah, you this don't even is, have to uh, extend it. Yeah, just, this is just a, put it out in hour long episodes, new, and you got a four part miniseries. New right category,
1: there. uh, which miniseries will be best as a movie? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I mean, the thing that blew me away about them is that they both hold up great like there are kind of little quibbles that you can pick with both of them but they really both just completely blew me away and i'm happy with their runtime after seeing it like if you were to watch uh ben-hur or lawrence of arabia and you were like i want to split up over two viewings i wouldn't blame you for that like i really wouldn't fault you in any way because they are very long movies in the same way like if you're like I can't sit through all of the Irishmen at once. I'm like, okay, whatever. If you watch it and you like it, that's all I care about. Um, I'm not going to judge your watching habits. But I think that films like this need to be that long because they kind of revel in the gratuitous nature of it all. It's supposed to be overindulgent. That's the whole point of an epic is to be so lavish and extraordinary and there's a lot of parts in both of these movies that still hold up really well like the chariot sequence which is the most iconic scene from ben-hur still holds up as like one of the greatest practical effect movie things ever it's still known as one of the most it might still be the most expensive shot in hollywood's history it cost so so much money because um william wyler William Wilder, um, the director of Ben Hur, like insisted that it had to be shot in a certain way and we have to have low camera angles shooting up on the like shooting up towards the chariots as they're breaking down and people are driving spikes into it. It's a miracle of a movie that's even made and it's breathtaking. Not to mention going into it, I had no idea that it was also the story of Jesus Christ. Uh that's like shoehorned in a little bit. It's not... well, because the story of Jesus is meant to parallel the character of Ben-Hur himself. Um, so it does work well. Um, I didn't really find it shoehorned. I just kind of thought it was like interesting. And then as the movie progresses, you're like, oh, shit, this movie's really going to tell the story
1: of the Bible. Maybe shoehorned isn't the
0: right word. Maybe just like like backdoor snuck in a little. Yeah. Bit. OK. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's a little bit less of a negative connotation towards it. Backdoor um, Jesus. Although I will say between the two, Lawrence of Arabia, I think I preferred a little bit more despite I know people kind of throw shade towards this movie now because it has a lot of the white savior tropes that have gone on to make a lot worse movies. But the thing is that Peter O'Toole is just so goddamn good and magnetic in this movie that you like cannot take your eyes off him on the screen. And it's not... As egregiously white savior as so many other movies that I've seen, if I was going to put on the white savior scale, I think I'd put it like a six out of ten. So not great, but not horrible. Um, speaking of Peter O'Toole, though, we were talking about kind of why the Academy does some of some things that it does. I think that Peter O'Toole is the sole reason for the makeup Oscar at the Academy Awards. He was nominated for this movie, which. I mean, of everything I've seen Pierre O'Toole in, this is his best performance. He was nominated eight times at the Academy Awards and died without ever winning.
1: After Lawrence of Arabia.
0: Yes. And so he that won. Lawrence was his first one. Lawrence was his first one, first of eight. Um, and he never won before he died. And I think that ever since then, the Academy has had this whole thing of like, we have to make sure that the greats get one of theirs. And a lot of time that leads to actors winning and it's more of like an honorary thing that it is for that specific role like i mean if you look at Joaquin Phoenix for Joker he's really good in that movie but it's like also Joaquin Phoenix should have had an oscar already if you look at uh Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant i think The Revenant's a bad movie just me personally i do not like The Revenant at all sure he's fine he does the whole body transformation thing whatever i don't care but it was about time. Like he should have won. He should have already had two or three Academy Awards by that time. So it was like, well, now we have to give him one. Um, so yeah, just wanted to mention that with Peter O'Toole, another movie that has held up really, really well. Uh, it's a little movie called The Apartment. Um, Hitchcock from? No, is that not Hitchcock? No, 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 no. You're thinking of a. You're thinking of um. Rope. Rope. Yeah, you're thinking yeah. of Rope. Rope Rocks, um, by the way. Rope does kick ass. Uh, not an Oscar. No- winning movie. But um I mean Hitchcock actually did did have one best picture movie with Rebecca, which got remade this year and is really, really? bad. Yeah. Wait, Ooh,
1: with, Hammer. with Army Hammer. Is that Hammer. right?
0: Yeah, it's it's mm. bad. <laughs> Do not watch this movie. Go watch the classic Rebecca. Mm. Um this movie Rebecca wasn't a surprise me because I was like it's Hitchcock. Of course it, it's It's be the great. same idea as Rope though, right? It's like very contained. No 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 um the apartment is a rom-com like it is a movie okay so here's the premise of the movie the apartment because it's kind of a movie that sounds like it would never get made today but it's really genius it's bud a minor clerk at a huge new york insurance company discovers a quick way to climb up the corporate ladder by lending out his apartment to the executives as a place to take their mistresses that's the pitch of the movie jeez so, like, that sounds bad, but, like, it actually is aged really well because it's kind of, like, one, um, just shout out to Jack Lemmon, who is the star. He plays C.C. Baxter. Oh, Jack Lemmon's great. He is the shit. He's so good. He's so charming in this movie in a role that very easily could be very creepy. Yeah. Like, you can tell he's, like... A very innocent dude he's just like look i don't want to know about it i'm just trying to kind of stay out of the thing you can just use my apartment and i'll get out of there and then he meets uh shirley mclean who kind of like teaches him the wrong of his ways like no you can't do this to like your apartment to yourself or for these other people and their families that they have at home um it's aged great. Like I, it's a fucking banger. Billy Wilder has made a bunch of bangers in his life. Of course he made sunset Boulevard. He made some like it hot, double indemnity. Like he, the seven year itch. He actually has worked with, um, um, Marilyn Monroe, a bunch back in the day, but I just really, really highly recommend the apartment. And if you want a taste of like that kind of slice of rom-coms that used to be a bigger thing in Hollywood and now no longer exist, Cause this pitch, like, this is a pitch for a movie that would get made today, but it's like, yeah, it is. It's like a straight to Netflix movie. Like, it's 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 Hunter, not I really was literally anything. just thinking, it reminds me of the, uh, I think the
1: Perfect Date is the name of the movie. I talked about it on Pod. It was really really bad, and it was starring that uh, Noah Centineo kid. Oh no. Yes. Yeah. He he yeah. invents an app that hooks you up with someone to like go on like a fake date or whatever. It it's legitimately that. Like it's just it's that's the perfect rom-com. Not not all perfect rom coms, that's a that's a really killer rom com like template is like a scheme. Mm-hmm. You know, coming up with a scheme. So Netflix is ripping off of Oscar yeah. well, best picture. Well, winners. like I mean, all rom coms are just ripping off old rom coms, but like that like genre, that's how genre films work, you know. But mm-hmm. that uh oh that movie from like a year or two ago that was actually pretty good. It's a rom com on Netflix. Where, I think it's called maybe set it up where two oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. two I know what people you're about. Mm-hmm. are you know they're doing great except their bosses suck so they set their bosses up to date each other so their lives get better and then they fall in love with each, with each other you know like this is uh this is a predecessor
0: it it really is kind of similar to that like I I do I highly recommend this movie to you guys especially because you like Jack Lemon Drew so like I know that you'll like this movie this is. My favorite thing that I've ever seen Jack Lemmon in. Even over some like It Hot, which I also really love him in a lot. Um, I haven't seen The Player before, which I know that a lot of people love him. He's in more of a supporting role in that movie. but So was this the only Billy
1: Wilder movie to win Best Picture?
0: Uh, no, Billy Wilder actually also won for another movie called um, The Lost Weekend, which is a little bit... It wasn't enough to make my disappointments because I still really liked it, but it's a movie that... So this is forty five. So this is a classic thing in the forties, fifties, sixties, where pacing is a fucking nightmare in a lot of these movies. Like, so I know friend of the pod, um, Colin, is a really big fan of a uh, little movie called uh, Marty. Um, and the thing is that I really like that movie a lot, but the pacing in it, I think, is awful. And, like, that's my only problem, because I think Ernest Bornein is great. I think Betsy Blair, the direction from Delbert Mann is really, really good. But it's 90 minutes, and you're like, why is this not two hours? Like, if you had two hours, then, like, the third act would actually have a big punch. And the thing is, with a movie like The Apartment, is it it is, like, a very well-paced movie. With The Lost Weekend, it's a story about a man struggling with alcoholism in 1945. This is just after like alcohol became more of a thing that you could get again. And a lot of people slipped into falling into major alcoholism. Now that they were able, they had to sneak around and use illegal means to get alcohol. And now it's just, you could just go anywhere and just buy a bottle. And It does try to capture into that idea, but I just wish it went a little bit further Mm. in. Has this endeavor made you (laughs) pro-prohibition? Yes. um, Mostly for my own sanctity, because I have drank a lot of alcohol this year to get through these movies. Not really. Um, I meant to actually mention that up top. Um, The thing is, with most Oscar-running movies, most of them are good. Mm Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say most of them are great or most of them are bad. Like most of them are, most of them are like, even they're above fine. They're above mediocre. I think most of them, like I had a pretty good time watching. If you just look at my, uh, actual Oscar list and just look at my ratings, the average rating is like seven, eight out of 10, like seven ish or so. Like it has a pretty high rating, but the next section well, okay, so one other movie I want to talk about, The Surprises, um, is... Shut the fuck up, watch. Um, Hunter, you Bixby have, to, is you have to take that watch before you come into this Big podcast. Bixby is always trying to get on the podcast, um... Next up, I just one other surprise I wanted to hit real quick is a movie from 1973 called The Sting. This is a movie that's
1: been brought up in multiple classes I've taken as like a very important predecessor to like I, you wrote in your document here, like the Oceans movie.
0: Yeah, no, the so Oceans you took, movies, You took grifting,
1: grifting 101. Yeah, yeah I no. was on an episode of Community.
0: So that's, <laughs> that's why, because I feel like I brought this up. I put this on here because I feel like if you're in like film classes then they talk about the importance of this movie mm-hmm. but otherwise if you, I feel like this movie kind of just gets relegated as like oh it's the movie in between The Godfather Part 1 and The Godfather Part 2 yeah like and it or it's like oh this is the makeup for George Roy Hill because he didn't win uh, Best Picture for um, uh, for uh, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid just two years prior or mm-hmm. four years prior and this movie is really, really good. Like, I don't know. Have you, neither of you guys have seen this movie. Have you? No, like, I haven't
1: seen any movie.
0: I think that you guys should watch this movie because I know you both like the, the, um, the oceans movies. I know Ernest, I know you like the prestige a lot and this year's oh, a yes. lot of, I mean, I like Blood oceans 11
1: more than the prestige.
0: Well, I mean you like both, so I know that you'll be a fan of this movie. Um, so I do really like this movie a lot. It kind of plays with the misdirection, grifting element, and I feel like it gets too much shit. And it's a good movie, and I it's like on, it. It's on it's uh, on the cock
1: right now. Oh, really? On the cock. Yeah. There we go. Check it out. On the I, I gotta ask though. Like, is Paul Newman as sexy oh, as Paul Newman was hot George Clooney? Oh man, Paul.
0: No, Paul Newman. I Paul Newman. I think is like one of the best looking men who was ever born.
1: Well, well, because well, no. Here, listen though. Because honestly. It's it's like arguing about athletes from past eras. They didn't have the technology that someone like Clunbag right. has to remain sexy. Paul Newman like he had every reason to not be hot. Like he probably mm-hmm. grew up on some farm somewhere.
0: He was probably smoking cigarettes when he was like 13, Exa- yes, but like crazy the cigarettes the crazy, alone. <laughs>
1: like, the crazy thing about this movie said it's Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's the same also, thing as Clooney and Brad Pitt. Robert Redford too it's 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 Clooney and Pitt it's it's the same
0: thing like George Roy Hill I don't know how he got these two dudes for two movies in a row with this and Butch Cassidy I don't like this movie isn't as good as Butch Cassidy of course it's not because the writing isn't quite I mean Butch Cassidy is an all-time great um what beat what beat Butch Cassidy uh that was 1969 was the year that that came out so it would have been Midnight Cowboy Ooh, everybody yeah. is
1: tired. Wow, what a year. Yeah. Me. That's a that's a year right yeah, there. Yeah. It is a that is a banger um, of a year. Here, what do you what if um <laughs> This is stupid. What if like the the next generation like right beyond is like zoomers, what if they mainly know Clooney as someone who makes like pasta sauce? Like we know Paul <laughs> Newman. <laughs> bro. I can't. And then yeah, and then like, you know, in 20 years, they'll be like, oh, you know, that guy was in movies too. I <laughs> mean that they're they're like, you mean that fat guy with a beard? I'll be like, <laughs> I need you to sit down right no, now. No, no. Newman looks hot on those bottles. Cause also Clunbag is a big charity guy. I could see it mm-hmm. happening. I, he was on he was on Colbert promoting his new Netflix movie. He looks really skinny. I mean, he's fucking old. I'm like, are you okay, dude? Like do I need to like send you some oh, no. Paul Newman pasta? <laughs> send him some Saka That's got all the all the vegetables and the whole shebang. It says it right on the label. I mean, he he is not doing okay since he starred in Gravity.
0: Yeah, he all like he had to only eat space food for a long time. That really that diet is just he went not yeah he went method
1: for his five minutes. <laughs> Um. So I I'm
0: excited. We got We got to get so, to your top no, ten. Well, no. Well, uh, we before do, that, I'm excited for disappointment. I'm going to talk about disappointments. I can go through these a little bit quickly. Um, first of all, I'm just also going to go in chronological order with these. Um, let's start with 1941's "How Green Was My Valley." Um, so this is a movie. I'm not super familiar with John Ford. I'll be honest. I definitely watched a bunch of his movies growing up because I had grandparents who were Southern and. They fucking ate up everything that John Ford ever did. Um, But I'm not super familiar with him like as an adult, as like critically watching movies. Um, And this is the movie that beat out Citizen Kane. Like, it's got to be good. Like, come on. It's made by John Ford. It beat out Citizen Kane. This has to be at least a good movie. This movie is fucking boring as shit. It is so boring. Nothing happens. The story is just awful. Like, the story leads you to believe that life is fucking hell. So, like, you better be good. You better be tight with your family. Because, like, as as soon as you leave the nest, like, there's nothing for you. Yeah, she's... Um, it's a bad movie. I, I, it's, it's not bad. I don't want to call it bad, but it's very mediocre. Like it is a classic two and a half out of five stars on letterbox. Mm. Like very, very mediocre. And it was a big disappointment for me. Um, next up (laughs) 1956 around the world in 80 days. So I think, have you guys seen the 2004 movie? Because that was Steve Coogan. Yeah. And Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan. Yeah. It left my mind immediately. I don't, so I liked this movie as a kid. Um and maybe I was just a baby so the racism completely went over my head, but um this movie is like so goddamn problematic. Uh aside from the fact that it's 3 hours long when there is no goddamn reason for this movie to be 3 hours long. Nothing aside from showing like we're able to Take a camera up in the hot air balloon with us now. Isn't that crazy? Um, that is crazy. Other than that, like <laughs> the I gave a six to the white savior complex of Lawrence of Arabia. This gets like a nine um, in terms of white saviorness, Yes. Nine out of ten on white savior scale. It's really bad. Everything. It's just this sophisticated white rich british man going around to all these different countries and like viewing like the taboo nature of the savage natives like all of the natives are depicted in this as like conducting blood rituals Mm. which this is set in like the 1920s 1930s that's not a thing that was happening then Is is early maybe it was like turn of the century but still he's in a hot air balloon right yes stupid that's stupid. 80 days in a hot air balloon. And he went around the world. It was like all for like a bet. It's it's a bad movie. Like I do yeah. not recommend do they, do this they movie. Have a, do they have a shit bucket in that balloon? No, they they bring, the well, they bring it down. Well, they bring it down like every now and then. Just poop out the fucking, you know, poop off the side. There's also mm, like his, uh, his buddy who like comes around with him is like a an Ethnically ambiguous guy. He's, is is it a white guy in blackface? No, no, no. It's a Spanish speaking dude. But like, it is a nothing part so, of I have I ever seen one in. Yeah. A so this
1: is one of the ones where you ask yourself, like, why am I doing this? Like, why did this win? Best How many picture? times did you ask yourself, like, what am I doing here? Because uh, I'm assuming a lot of it probably came in the early days. You know what yes. I mean? Because you're was, watching a lot of just like, wow, I'm well, not used to this type but of But also,
0: so it did reach a point where I kind of, because I, I had seen a bunch of like 40s and 50s. I mean, I fucking love like movies like The Third Man, which was made in 1940s. And mm-hmm. but, King, but, it but it didn't but win Best Picture. Did not win Best Picture. Um, So it was probably less times than you actually think. Mm hmm. Um, it was a lot of times where it was a little bit of a slog, but I didn't really think, "Why am I doing this?" Um, if, if I, uh, I think I'm going to add to my bucket list that I want to shit off of a hot air balloon.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm that's glad like that I that's really these. easily doable. Yeah. You just kind of have to know the right hot air balloon operator. Yeah, you got to ask them. To look the other way. Yeah, just give them a hundred bucks. Be like, I'm not even asking you to let me do anything in particular. I'm just asking you to turn. What around. if? Okay, turn around for ten minutes. <laughs> no, no, no. But here's the here's the problem. It's like. If he's gonna look the other way while you Shit mm. will he continue To look the other way if you fall Off
0: and fall to your death You have to have like a, a safety Word of like to Turn back <laughs> Of around. The like safety, word of, like the safety word of like I am falling right now <laughs> No 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 cause he is I say that every time I'm pooping Guy already knows that like, you I'm, have just a safety like word. I'm falling in yeah, and you're She's good just like ah like, uh, he always says this <laughs> He always does this Okay. I
1: pretend to fall Who's down. Who's flush myself down the toilet? You, if you're trying to shit off the side of the balloon, I, I don't know. If you fall, I mean, this is probably a problem that Moody's mom ran into on Moody's Point, which was the sketch in Amanda Show in which Moody's mom was always just yeah. Floating there you off go. That's that's kind of scary. She had to a piss and shit.
0: Off the edge. <laughs> That's all you can do. How do you eat? They never even talked Did she, do about it. Do you think it? that she just had to, like, grab a bird out of the air and just, like, crack its skull she and was, eat it yeah. raw? She, <laughs> how does she survive up there? She's got to she, do something. And
1: how does she attract the birds? She probably had to, like, pull all her own hair out and make a nest. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: I'm glad to add Speaking, to the discourse here. <laughs> Speaking of uh, nest-like hats. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Uh, my next one up might surprise you because, as you guys know, I am a musical guy. Uh, one of my other biggest disappoint- disappointments on here is My Fair Lady. Wow. That actually does surprise me. Aubrey Hepburn? So here's the thing. Aubrey Hepburn. I've been actually going. This is a sidebar. Is this I've, her only best picture? The only best picture movie that she's in. Yeah. Fuck. Um. I've been going on a whole Audrey Hepburn kick lately, like watching breakfast at Tiffany's very problematic movie, but I still kind of love it. Um, and kind of just going through all this, I think Audrey Hepburn is like, like there will never be another Audrey Hepburn. She was, she was the blueprint. She is aside from just being like probably one of the most beautiful women ever born. She also just has like this coy natural charisma that is unteachable and it's not, it's unlike anything that i have ever seen in any actress actress or actor since then she was the original e-girl okay um i just think so this movie is i'm not going to i'm gonna move right past that as our audience should as well um i don't have you guys ever seen my fair lady either the movie or the no the the t
1: uh, theater adaptation i'm gonna be 100 percent honest i i just read like one of your notes about it and i realized the only experience i have with my fair lady is a family guy bit
0: yes <laughs>
1: where a uh, stewie tries to get this cockney girl to speak right
0: yes yeah so that it is it isn't a family guy bit. um that's kind of what the movie is based around is audrey hepburns plays this very cockney girl and then there is this teacher um played by uh professor henry higgins uh who tries to beat the cockney out of her to make her be a high class individual the wife of and the life is ended by the by knife, the knife Don't, yes yeah, yeah. um and It is, uh, like just deeply problematic of just showcasing a woman who's just like kind of going on her own accord. She's just like, yeah, I'll give you what money I can. And like, I just want you to help me be better. And he's just like, okay, cool. I'm going to fucking starve you until you can get these words right. And I'm like, you're not allowed to sleep until you can do this for me. And she develops Stockholm syndrome for him and falls in love with him, um, not great also the music is just not great in this thing i just that's that's why is this such a big deal so that's the thing like i feel like a lot of musicals can have very surface level stories but you can excel if you have good banger songs then that's enough to get you by totally like that's kind of the cop-out with most musicals it's like you write like Eight to 10 bangers, and you're fucking good. You can coast with just a whatever story. Yeah. And the story, the music's just not very good. And I feel like that might be a hot take, but like, I've never really liked My Fair Lady. I've seen theater adaptations and the movie now, and I am just not a fan. This is a, a
1: a trope of old movies, I guess, because doesn't this pops up in I think "Singing in the Rain" too? The coaching language, like poor people language, out of
0: someone. Uh, no, well, that one's different I can't because stand no, that him. one thing is so "sing Singing in the Rain." Um, is just I mean, I mean that movie rules. Like, yeah, I've that, I've seen that movie a bunch of times. That movie is the best musical ever put on film. Um, oh. but. I think that that movie is different because also it's more played for laughs where it's uh yes, it's it silent actors that are turning into doing talkies. And it's the thing is with silent actors, it doesn't matter what the fuck your voice sounds like. And mm-hmm. then they're like, we have to train these people to be able to like, talk in a way that's pleasant to the ears. Yeah. You can't just be And that is, you're right that that it. is
1: a comedic scene. And if they're actually like... You know, if they're actually just being like, here's how you not be poor you woman.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, they're still like fucking Hollywood stars, whatever. Um, last one. I'll just hit real quickly. It's a movie called Out of Africa by Sidney Pollock, And I know Sidney Pollock is known as like this great director of the 1980s. I mean, the guy made Tootsie. But uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to Bad Beach just to hit this one. Some other movies that came out in 1985. Back to the Future, The Breakfast Club, Goonies, Clue, Weird Science, Mm -hmm. Witness, European Vacation, Brazil, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome, Fletch. Fletch. Hell yeah. (laughs) Had to put that one in there. To Live and Die in LA, Day of the Dead, Ran, Commando, The Color Purple. So many movies between blockbusters and critically acclaimed darlings. And instead, we got Out of Africa, which is Oscar bait. It is, it's just such, that's why I said the 1980s. Like, if you just look all through it, there's just a hundred of examples. I'll even pair this with the next one I have on here, Chariots of Fire, which is another very classic Oscar-bait movie, but for different ways. Out of Africa, though, has all the elements to be good. Of course, it's directed by Sidney Pollack. It's starring Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. Like, it should be good. Like, it... A movie with Africa completely... in the title that's
1: starring Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. Well, Street.
0: okay, so maybe it's not destined to be good, but... No, I know
1: what you mean, though. Like, the pedigree is there. It's just hold like, on, Hold on a second. Uh,
0: Tootsie won Best Picture, though, right? No, Tootsie did not win Best Picture. Oh, shit. No, okay. it was nominated on here, uh, but it lost to Gandhi that year, I believe. I think it's 1982. Great. Um, so this was this was Sidney Pollack's Oscar. This movie. was Sidney Pollack's Oscar remake, uh, or Oscar makeup, It's just it's rough. Uh, This is I think it's the worst Meryl Streep role I've ever seen in my life, even including the 2010s where she's just phoning it in on roles. She gives the worst Danish accent I have ever heard in my life. It's ear piercing. It is god awful. I do not like this movie. A lot of people really fucking love this movie, so maybe I just missed something, but I just found it really boring, not engaging. I mean, dude, a lot of people love fucking Green Book. Like, yeah, that's You fair. can't... No, yeah, you know that's fair. Similar to that, uh, another 80s movie is Chariots of Fire. Um, I'm assuming neither of you guys have ch- heard, have seen Chariots of Fire, but I know that both of you guys know the score of course. from Vangelis, whether you know it or not, the... One of the most iconic scores ever made in any
1: film. It's more iconic than the film.
0: Yes. And the thing is that that transition, that whole thing, like just transcends this movie itself. The movie itself is pretty goddamn boring. Like, not (laughs) a lot happens. It's a bunch of. Actors who are very unathletic white men running around. And the way that they flail their arms around as they run is hilarious. Like, it's not anything. And I just, I don't really know why this movie won. Because it's not like great scores always get recognized by the Academy. But I I just don't know. I just, this is one that just, I completely missed. I don't.
1: Sports. Sports dramas get in there sometimes, you
0: know. No, they do, but it's just like I don't. I it, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. So let's bring this up a little bit. Let's. I don't want to get too much of a downer. Yeah. So let's, have you guys looked at the list yet? You, you guys. Yeah. We don't want to.
1: We don't want to be a downer. So let's start with number ten of your top ten list. If we want to not be a downer, right? So what's your number ten?
0: Well, okay. So <laughs> can I just uh. We're going to transition to the top 10 here. I'm going to get one caveat in, and this might make me seem like a bad person, but here's the truth. If I think I was being honest with myself, I think Annie Hall might be my number 10 movie.
1: But that doesn't make you a bad person. But great movie. It's the Woody Allen of it all. Yeah, no, but you're allowed that, to say that. That's a great for movie. That, that I movie rocks. That movie is like not only
0: does it rock, it's like it's one of the most influential movies ever, ever made. And yeah, it, like it's top, not just top twenty influential not influence. Movies. Not just like broadly influential. It's influential to everything that I love. Yeah, <laughs> like Noah Baumbach does not exist. Every, without yeah, that movie.
1: every comedy person we like now is at at least probably a grandchild of the Woody Allen generation. Like he changed everything. And he really did. And he now he be- he beat Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Star, he Wars Star Wars was like the movie that everybody thought and, was going to win this year. And frankly,
0: he should have. Yes, and this movie is better than Star
1: Wars. Annie Hall rules. All right. Well, that's it for We Bought a Mic. Uh, <laughs> <You're listening.
0: laughs> oh, oh God, the feds are coming in. We've been we've been arrested. <laughs> We're being canceled right now. No, so I just wanted to give that a shout out because Honestly, that should be on the top 10, but I am penalizing it just a little bit for the Woody Allen event. Yeah. All. So now you want to put us in a good movie. So now you actually 10. want to give us your top 10, which
1: is really like an so I'm I'm uplifting gonna sk- movie to you. You wrote on your list. Yeah. So you know, I
0: wrote, I started with. You called it a comedy. Probably, yeah. Probably the most uplifting movie that I've seen in my life. And that is 1993 Schindler's List. Mm. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. First of all, a note for 1983 steven spielberg put out jurassic park and schindler's list within six months of each other just wow. a note for the audience of like that is the biggest flex together they made 1.5 billion dollars in six Incredible. months in the also, 80s or in
1: 1993 you should yeah. say this top 10 is hunter's top 10
0: yeah this is not the official no this is essential i would say oscar movie this is a definitive and completely subjective list of mine okay. um <laughs> This is, I mean, I, I'm i not going to have Casablanca on here. I'm not going to have On the Waterfront. As much as I really love those movies, and if you look on my big list, those are actually in the teens to early 20s on my list, but I wanted to highlight movies that were really for me and yeah, for my taste. As you should.
1: This is your episode.
0: Thank you. So for number ten, I have Schindler's List. Um, of course, Spielberg already had like massive IP projects like Jaws, Indiana Jones, E.T., but in nineteen eighty three, he was still kind of penciled in as this blockbuster director. He wasn't really known for creating anything with massive critical acclaim, and then comes nineteen eighty three, which is the first of several years that he's now even doing up until 2017 if you look at uh or yeah 2017 with the post and ready player one coming out the same year of doing blockbuster and prestige drama in the same year this steven spielberg put out jurassic park and schindler's list within six months of each other which is just an unbelievable six month stretch. Steven Spielberg absolutely owned this year in movies, whenever it comes to box office. Yeah. He, and it's, critical it's, claim. Well, we're never going to see anything like it again. Um,
1: the, well, the classic, uh, slash today I learned thing about this movie is that he initially said no to the mm-hmm. proposition of making it because he was not ready. This was in the eighties, um, and waited and, you know, until he thought that he was actually qualified. And, uh, Made a good movie. Do you know who was
0: originally slated to make this movie? Uh, Scorsese. No. No. Roman Polanski. Mm. And afterwards, Roman Polanski was like, I'm glad that Spielberg took it because he made something like, Polanski was like, I don't know if I could have made a movie this personal about the Holocaust, which he ends up making a very personal movie about the Holocaust with the pianist um, 10 years later. But this movie is just, flawless like it's so so good the monochromatic element of this movie of it all being black and white not only gives it this kind of timeless feel but it also just really adds to the bleakness of what this time was like in Eastern Europe which is and I know I didn't want to start the top 10 off with a complete downer of a movie but this it's still engaging despite the very heavy subject matter Mm. That you're dealing with, like I is is a movie that is really like well paced and it's kind of weird to say that about a movie that is as heavy as what we're talking about here. But I absolutely love this movie. Of course, Liam Neeson and Ralph Fiennes are so fucking good. Um, the ending of this movie, I ugly sob every single time like i think that i cry more at the ending of this movie than just about any other movie ever liam neeson is just out there and he's just like i could have saved more of you and he's just like crying just like running around gets me every time and then seeing the real life schindler jews um i feel like everybody's seen schindler's list or at least knows about it if you haven't i do uh say i do say like check it out um it's not like a casual saturday night uh date movie (laughs) i don't know if i'd recommend it for that but it's still it's a classic it's a classic it's a must watch moving on to my number nine is a movie that i feel like is a little bit less seen uh specifically for our generation Mm -hmm. and that is 1984's amadeus Have you guys ever seen or heard of this movie? No, I haven't heard of it for sure.
1: It's well, it's Milos Forman. It's Mozart.
0: Yeah. So this movie, it's a two hander uh, telling the story of Mozart and Salieri and this very one sided rivalry that they have between each other. And this movie is so good. Like this movie has aged like, a fucking fine wine. I highly recommend this movie, especially to you, Drew, because I know how much you love The Favourite, and this is very, very similar to The Favourite, in that it actually does have a lot of humor to it and dark comedy that works really well and has aged great. I mean, of course, it's made by Milos Format, made by the guy who made One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Like, you know that this is quality, but F. Marie Abraham, who plays Salieri, is just this deeply deeply tragic character. He's just this guy who's just so filled with resentment and rage towards God because he's this guy who's like I will never have sex, I will never drink or do drugs. I will give my life to God so that I will be God will reward me by being this generational musician. And meanwhile, you have Tom Holtz who plays Mozart who's just this like fuck up. Like he just kind of goes around he's just like having sex with mistresses and, like, sleeping around and just getting drunk all the time uh while he's supposed to be doing <laughs> all these crazy things. And he just, like, comes in fucked up and just plays the most beautiful things that have ever been recorded. And, it, of course, this is based on a real-life relationship between the two of these. I don't want to spoil this movie, even though it's kind of history, but I highly recommend this movie. Like, I think this movie is... A fucking banger Don't be scared off for, By the runtime Or like The period piece Looking elements of it Cause this is about A three hour movie So I know that might Turn some people off But It's so good It's aged So so well It's a movie that Could come out Tomorrow And it would be A best picture winner Like mm. it's It's just so so good Okay Will do Is this the last great um,
1: film that Milos made? Or would you put um, Man on the Moon up
0: there too? i put Man on the Moon up there personally. I really fucking love Man on the Moon. I mean Jesus Christ. Talking about Jim Carrey just like really coming into his own. I love that movie. Number eight. Number eight is a movie that I had not seen before we did this Oscar watch through. Same with Amadeus. It is the original classic divorce movie Kramer versus Kramer Uh, directed by Robert Benton uh, starring Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep this is another movie that like I know whenever Marriage Story came out last year ago everybody said this is the best divorce movie since Kramer versus Kramer and it's funny because I still Marriage Story was my number two last year I think Uh, I really love that movie but It's funny, Kramer vs. Kramer is just a better movie overall. Even if it is more one sided in its story, it does because it's made in the 1970s, it does focus in a bit on the more on the male character with Dustin Hoffman. But because it does that, it makes things a little bit more one sided. You get a lot more of a character study about this one person. And it gets a lot more into who this guy is like he's not the best dude, but in the same way that a lot of guys aren't the best people like it's this guy. He's like puts his career before his family a lot of times, but he's not an inherently mean person. He's not somebody who, like cheats on his wife or anything like that. It's just it's a very, very relatable movie. Meryl Streep, despite not having a ton of screen time, still fucking owns it because she's the queen Meryl Streep. Like, come on. Um, and one of the things that's always stuck with me with her performance is she talks about like why she has to get out of this relationship is she says like, I've always been a daughter or a wife or a mother and never really got the opportunity to figure out who I am as a person, which for the 1970s, that's like groundbreaking to give a woman agency like that in film. Like that's just not a thing that happened so time. this
1: they both won oscars mm-hmm. best actor and best actress and best director and best screenplay it won
0: four of the best five or no it didn't win the big five it didn't win which it one won- did not win? so picture actor
1: actress director and uh screenplay that would be so the, that's that
0: be big, oh well is that's meryl, five meryl right streep right is uh supporting isn't she Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah so that's go. that's why yeah, that's why I didn't win the Big Five. Um. But yeah, no, I mean, this movie is absolutely incredible. I feel like it's got kind of shit on over the years because people are like, oh, it's looking at divorce through the male gaze and everything. But what's made this movie age pretty well, in my opinion, is that neither party is made out to be a bad person. In the fact that most marriages like it's not somebody's not getting divorced because the other person is a bad person it's just two people as they grow up you change and you evolve and you become different people and your lives are going in different directions and that's something that this movie gets so so right as somebody who had parents who went through divorce like i think that this movie if you especially if you are a child of divorce i think this is a much what a must watch but even if not this is also just an incredible family drama. and this makes me like long for a time where family dramas like this, ordinary people terms of endearment were Oscar winning movies. And that just kind of feels like that little aspect of it is starting to kind of go away in the culture. You can have like Ella always parasites a family drama, but it's a para- it's a family drama that's also involved in a little bit of like, higher metaphorical text and this movie isn't really trying to get into to interrogate all that um one other point about kramer versus kramer it was also uh nominated for best supporting actor for the child uh justin henry who plays billy who was nominated when he was eight years old who is still the youngest nominee ever and i think it might just be like the greatest child performance ever Like, the kid, for the most part of the movie, he's acting opposite Dustin Hoffman. And he is, like, really going back and forth with him. It's so, so good. I highly, highly recommend this movie. Absolute banger. Number seven. It's a movie that I know you guys have all seen. Mm -hmm. It is the Coen Brothers classic, No Country for Old Men. Probably their best
1: movie, I kind of want to say. Yeah. I know they have, like, multiple masterpieces yeah, multiple with, well, 10 out of 10 with them yeah that's why it comes down to a matter of taste for those guys yeah because they, they've hit they've checked all the boxes a couple times but this movie rules hard it absolutely rocks beat and out beat out there will be blood Well, here's a question for you hunter where would there will be blood be on here
0: uh, I would be above No Country for Old yeah, Men. Yeah, like top Honest. five. Honestly, personally,
1: yeah, probably. I mean, that movie. Yeah, th- I think the movie's better, I, but this movie is a ten.
0: Yeah, no, so that's that's what's kind of crazy about this movie <laughs> is know? like the worst thing. The worst thing about No Country for Old Men is that it came out the same year as There Will Be Blood. That is the only knock that I have against this movie because this movie, you're right, it is a ten. Like this movie mm-hmm. is fucking incredible, and a lot of that's due to this being the perfect marriage between the Coens and Cormac McCarthy, both of them have this overall sense of nihilism to their style and to their writing. And whenever you combine the two of these together, there's this perfect, just the right amount of cynicism and futility, but without becoming very overbearing or kind of just leading to a feeling, like in a lot of lesser Coen movies, I don't always agree with this criticism, but sometimes I can hear the argument where it's kind of nihilistic to a point of, uh, not a meaningless where you're just like, okay, so you're just like everybody's dead just because like that's life. And like, that's kind of it. And I, I, I don't really necessarily buy into that argument with the Coens cause they're some of the greatest filmmakers of our time, but this movie is perfect for that because it's so white knuckled and it's so in your face with the action and with everything that you are experiencing until the very end when it's not. And one of the characters dies and you don't see it. It's not even the end. Yeah, it's, it's not like, even the end. It's like halfway through the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's not like right around as the movie hits the third act mark. Yeah. Like, yeah, like two thirds. Yeah. And it's just kind of like crazy, like that is such a fucking ballsy call to do that Mm -hmm. in your movie. It's so good. Um, Of course, Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh is one of the most iconic portrayals of any character of the 21st century. Like he's just known. But I mean, also Josh Brolin, Tommy Lee Jones, everybody in this cast is incredible And Deacon's cinematography in this movie. We were just talking about Seven whenever we did our Fincher overview podcast, but with Seven, that kind of influenced a lot of the way that crime and stuff looked, but Deacon's in No Country for Old Men takes it to another level. And really, even if you look at things, modern prestige crime dramas, The True Detectives, even something like Mindhunter, they are a lot of times trying to replicate if not the look of Deacon's cinematography in no country for old men, the style, the color palette, like that is something that has aged so well from this movie that you can just see everywhere now. Yeah. It's,
1: it's a, it's also, a, uh, I think a bit more of a universal movie than there will be blood.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, like 100%. my,
1: my parents cannot get enough of this movie. It, you know, it's, it's, it's a better TV watch. Mm-hmm. In addition to being an incredible like theatrical watch. Great movie. Yeah. So Bardem won the Oscar for supporting, mm-hmm. um, but Deacon's
0: lost to yep. There Will Be Blood. That's the only category that There Will Be Blood won over No Country for Women where they so, were in the same That is wildly category. stupid. I don't – What? <laughs> I, it's just, it's wild to me that Deacons his wins are going to be for Blade Runner 2049 and 1917, which both of them, I mean, they great look jobs, Has great any, jobs, yeah. but like, what?
1: <laughs> Has anyone had such a great career that they have multiple makeup Oscars?
0: <laughs> yeah, where well, just like, next time, like the next five movies that Deacons makes, let's just give him yeah. best cinematography to make up for the fact they should have five cinematography Oscars by now. Um. So what's number six? number six is a movie that we've talked about before on this podcast it's midnight cowboy everybody's
1: talking about me movie rocks
0: john schlesinger's 1969 film um i watched this movie one more time after we did our podcast uh because you're a completionist and i you're you're a mob i'm also i'm a little bit of a sociopath i think at a certain point i've I don't know what I'm doing anymore with my life. And I was just like, well, I'm watching these in chronological order. I just watched Oliver. I guess I have to fire up midnight cowboy now. And I mean, I'd never get tired of this movie. I think I first saw this movie when I was about 18 ish or so when friend of the pod, Colin was actually the first one to recommend it to me. And it's just, it's unbelievable. Ever since then, I've watched this movie, like, at least once a year. Like, I fucking love this movie. It's aged so well. It's arguably the most important movie ever in Academy's history. The biggest shift. Yeah, when you look at Oliver winning the year prior and how this starts to usher in 1970s and the decade of Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, Patton is the very next year. And then we get um, French Connection and Godfather and one flow of the cuckoo's nest and a lot more movies that are unafraid to get dark this movie is aside from being an influential movie this is also just in my opinion one of the greatest movies ever made
1: cool as hell like it, it's just it's it's just awesome man
0: it's unafraid to change to change genres drastically yeah exactly. and it all works it very gets well weird too.
1: it gets it gets dark it gets weird it's funny. Yeah, it's it's just it's a lot wrapped into one. It's one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. It's way more influential than we think.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, people,
1: yeah, no, people don't talk. I wouldn't have known about it if not for Colin, probably, like, and you guys. Like, it, it you, it's not discussed. But my god, it's good. And it's like you said, like this, the Academy was in a stuffy phase before this. Mm. And this snapped them into the 70s, which were, you know, happened to be an incredibly progressive uh, decade for film. Well, just the notion of somebody coming into New York City and discovering it as um, John Voigt's character does in this movie, like that gets replicated so much more than people give it credit for. Like rewatching Borat this year, they literally play the theme from yeah. Midnight Cowboys as he's as,
0: walking through the streets of New York and everything. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I was watching Elf last week. Yeah, and, and the they scene play- <laughs> Well they don't play the song <laughs> exactly, but, but the shots mirror it. Yeah. Like the vibe of it. It's just all there. You see the footprints, the fingerprints.
0: It's it's so good. I mean, I could talk more about this movie because I fucking love it, but go back and listen to our midnight cowboy episode that we did earlier this year, because I loved recording that episode with you guys and with Colin and yeah, it's just an absolute banger. Love that movie. Uh quick sidebar. Cause I was, so I was originally going to have a uh, best decades uh, listed like to do like a, Oh, what's the best decade of movies. And it's just like not even fair. It's the 1970s and it's really not close. No, like the, the 70s
1: are cool as hell.
0: There's not a single miss in the 1970s. The thing is that even like, I think the 2010s are pretty high up there. Like I think the 2010s are pretty good as far as top end talent, but there's still like, there's the green books. There's the King speeches. Like there is like the artists. There's like bad movies mixed in with great movies and 1970s just everyone's a banger.
1: It, it yeah they rock so hard you know it's it's a mix of <clears throat> craft having reached like a critical point uh in which like you know techniques were generally known enough that like progressive directors could use them to make incredibly forward-thinking movies while still having all the pedigree of like just a flawlessly shot and uh paced film mm-hmm. uh they they hold up so unbelievably well oh yeah
0: number five <sighs> Number five, we're now in the top five <gasps> of my list. And wait a second, I'm looking through here and there's been a mistake. <laughs> oh my God. I have to apologize. For years, oh my God. years, I have ridden on the camp that Moonlight is a good movie, but it's not better than La La Land. Mm-hmm. And I have to apologize for that take. Do you have a top five, like almost best pictures? <laughs> <laughs> that would have like been, best, been, best been a very different list. This is going to end up being like a three and a half hour podcast do you have a top, if I do that. Yeah, do you
1: have a top five times you were just like wildly wrong? Because <laughs> my thing is I hadn't seen Moonlight until recently. And the second I saw it, I was like, this is so much better. Like mm-hmm. La Land is great to me. And this is this is like another plane. Like you're rating it your fifth best Oscar winning best picture movie. This movie is on another tier of existence. So beautiful. It is so good.
0: It's just, I, and you know what? I still stand by that. I think La La Land is still a masterpiece in its own right. I still think La La Land is an absolute fucking banger of a movie. And I listened to the soundtrack of that movie. But it didn't win Best Picture. But it didn't win Best Picture. And I just have to apologize because I'll be honest. I haven't seen this movie in a few years and I was like, all right, I'm going to go in. I'm going to try and be as fresh as I possibly can. I didn't watch any movies for like three or four days leading up to this, which I know does not sound like a lot of time. But for me, that is an extended period of time in between Must watching movies. so hard for you. Yeah, it was really tough. But I tried to just go in really, really fresh. And I have to say, like, I don't think this movie like it's not just in the top five best picture winners. I think that this is like in the top. 10 movies of the decade yeah it's, or it's the top 10 movies of like the decade top 10 movies of the 21st century even
1: it's it's one of the, it's top 10 movies i've ever seen like it's just f- wildly good um it, moment to moment the way that it carries your attention uh it, it's on the level of a lot of 70s movies that i've seen mm-hmm. where like it's taking its time it's not rushing any plot points it's just giving you raw feeling in the form of slow shots on the emotional subject like also it's bold and unique which you don't see enough in best picture Mm -hmm. winners usually i mean you know you're the expert here hunter but usually these movies that secure the bag at the oscars they tend to stick to a certain template and moonlight i don't think that there's a movie like it. No, it's, it it is, it's such so a, it's, different. It's such a microscopic story. It's, and it's told in such a distinct way with the three, you know, very distinct acts. It's, it, it's just lovely.
0: It definitely shares some DNA with other movies that are Oscar named, Like the whole coming of age story, like Boyhood, for example. That's like an Oscar baby type. Movie. Lost to Birdman. But that lost Birdman. But even still, like that was a movie that was nominated for a shit ton of Academy Awards whenever that movie came out. But it is still different because it is so stylized. And I don't say that to just put it in a way, like in a pejorative way to mean that it is style over substance. Because I think that the substance is what enhances the style of this movie. Like they just kind of go hand in hand what Barry Jenkins does here in this movie. I mean when you look at just the look of this film with all the cool tones, all the blues and the purples. And it's not just done just for color grading sake. It all feeds into the story itself. All of those choices are done for a reason. They are all done to capture this feeling of the central conflict of Chiron, which is the struggle between masculinity and sensitivity. And that's what we are watching Chiron go through throughout the whole movie of black versus blue and what does that mean and kind of interrogating what really is the purpose of moonlight as the name of this as the title of this movie like and it just the way that it all comes together is just so fucking beautiful um, of course, Mahershala Ali. Every time I watch this movie, I forget that he's only he leaves at. I forgot. I wrote it down. It's a third but, of the way through. Yeah, he leaves at like the t- the thirty two minute mark or something of this. But movie.
1: his character's presence hangs exactly. throughout. Yeah, he's he's heavily story. in Act Two because Janelle Monet is talking about him quite a bit. He, I mean, he he is just you know he he's again like this movie. He's on another tier. Mm-hmm. Um, he owns it. Won the Oscar it's,
0: for it. It's so good. I mean, if you haven't seen Moonlight, I just go watch this movie again. I have to apologize to a lot of people, especially to you, Ernest. Um, I feel like I need to apologize to you because I feel like I, I, I didn't. It was when we did our A24 bracket, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know what? Moonlight's better than under the skin. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Um, number four that beach scene though damn mm. call me that by your name dude call me by your name hey. the peach got nothing on the yeah. beach handy from the boys. I mean, do you, have I mean a, a, do you
1: have a good beats scene cause that was a good hey, beat yeah hey, that was a good beat <laughs> I mean at least it was more age appropriate than call me by your name
0: yeah uh, uh <laughs> yeah we're we're not gonna touch that one um, he's literally grooming Timothy the Galloway it's a movie, man. Like, that's that's
1: what happens in real life. Anyway, Especially in, what is it, 1980s? If you haven't been groomed by Army Hammer, guess what? You're lucky. But you're not me.
0: Speaking of grooming, <laughs> do we think Randall McMurphy was grooming some of the women that he uh, brought over to the mental institution with him while he was there? Yeah. Oh, and this next item? Uh, Number four, item. we're talking about another Milos Foreman joint. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest drew do you want to pop off on this movie real quick because i know this is your favorite movie of all time right yeah this is my favorite film ever made i think uh
1: jack jackie nicholson's performance in this is um it, it has like all the magnetism of what you would call a modern movie star performance while being so rough around the edges which you don't really see anymore um you know, because because your modern movie star performance is going to be in a very well polished like IP uh, type role where they're playing a literal hero um, or like an Ethan Hunt or whatever. The, he, this is a guy playing a guy who's in a mental institution. He just also is unbelievably charismatic um, and he's and, working the whole place. Yeah. And he's he's really likable, but not. Because he is wholly good, mm-hmm. he's not wholly good. Um, yeah, he he does plenty of very questionably uh, uh, immoral things. Yeah, it's it's just, and um, I mean, sp- the reason that this is my favorite movie ever, though, is because of that, a classic movie star performance combined with Foreman, because he he shoots this with like such a wandering eye, and even though Jack is so magnetic every single other person is swinging for the fucking fences in this and they're depicting like unbelievably mentally ill people, but it doesn't feel, uh, it doesn't feel corny.
0: Yeah. It, well, it's not preachy is one of the, oh, main it's not things preachy, that- but also it's not like,
1: you know, Oh, they read up a little bit about this mental illness and they're mm-hmm. like, they're trying, but like, you know, they could never like the, it's got a the guy who plays doc and what's his name? Chris, Christopher, Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd just slaying it with a buzz cut. Young DeVito. Mm-hmm. It's just it's unreal. Like no matter where you look in the frame, there is an, a really, really killer performance and it's all so well blocked and lit. Um, so much white in this movie. It's it's just it's perfect to me. I The could, guy who plays the um chief. Oh yeah. The tall guy he's the a, Native American dude. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a scene in this movie where um, it's such a great payoff because of, like, all the scenes that come before it. But um, when he puts the basketball in the basket, Mm -hmm. I fucking cried. (laughs) Yeah, that that shit rule. Uh, Uh, Will Sampson. Louise Fletcher as the nurse is just. Yes. Like, that's a tough role because you can't like her, but you do have to know that she's right.
0: Yes, you. Ha- she's not a villain, no, which is that's, something
1: that's the most misinterpreted
0: thing. No, of it's this just whole movie. It's
1: it's really really hard to perform that because you have to not like her, but also you have to know that she's correct and the person you like is wrong, mm-hmm. which is like going against everything that you know about your protagonists in movies. It's so good.
0: I was kind of, to be honest, in like the age of cancel culture or whatever the hell you want to call it now in 2020. I was. I hadn't seen this movie in a couple years, and I was a little. B- I had just the slightest amount of reservations going into seeing this movie again, because I was like, "What if it hasn't hold up as well? What if there's some like not some great uh, interpretations of mental illness?" But the genius thing about what Foreman does is he makes you interrogate what mentally ill what calling that phrase actually means mm-hmm. like for example there's cheswick played by Sidney Lessig, who i really love who has these panic attacks which lead to these like childlike tantrums that he has they has but he's still like a good person like he's still a nice guy he just needs like a little bit of medical attention he's still okay meanwhile our protagonist mcmurphy is there because he raped a 15 year old girl Like, and we're supposed... That's supposed to be the person where, like, he's the normal one of everything. Yeah. And the thing is that, going back to your wandering eye, your observation about the wandering eye direction that Milos Forman gives this, is that he... Plays it very flat. You are just kind of floating around and you in, are introduced to the facility through the eyes of McMurphy. And it seems like, okay, he's like, he's the smart guy there. He's just like claiming insanity so he can take the easy ra- way out and everything else. And as the story progresses, you're like, no, I, everybody is kind of has their own redeemable arc with, the, like, not with the exception of him, mm. but. Kind of in spite of him. Yeah,
1: it's 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 unreal because there are a lot of movies that try to capture this feeling that this movie generates where like you end up questioning everything that you believe about the sanity of the characters and you start feeling almost a bit insane yourself because you you cannot help but put yourself in the shoes of people, you know, in the hospital. And you're like, well, what would I do if I were sane? Um, there are movies that revolve entirely around creating that feeling in you and they don't do it as well and also they're so fucking sweaty like memento
0: mm-hmm.
1: where that whole movie is just about like don't you feel fucking crazy bro <laughs> and this movie makes you feel just as crazy about- but there's there's like beauty and heart and well, in well it. yeah it's it, like the the movie isn't structured around it it's just so well done that it, it that's what happens it's just perfect to me it's just literally like i couldn't make it better it's my favorite movie ever is this the best year for the oscars for the best picture
0: we're gonna get into that in a second a- and and a little bit a little bit later on down whenever we do this the top other- 10 because it's that's i whenever we pick out what the best oscar movie year is this is uh this is high up there the
1: other nominees are barry linden dog day afternoon jaws Ooh. and nashville
0: oh that's the God best. Damn. I think
1: that's the best Best Picture nominee
0: list ever. It's, exactly. It's it's a banger of a list. Um, we'll we'll hit on that real yeah. quick in just a second. So but, number three. Um. Also, just want to give a shout out. One other thing about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the secret MVP aside from Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratchet and Jack Nicholson as McMurphy, is Billy for me, Brad Dorif, who uh, has the stutter, who's committed because he. Um, attempts suicide after a girl that he likes, he uh, asks her to marry him and yeah. she says no. It, it's a and it, that man. It's such a, a nuanced character. performance. And without, li- I don't want to get into any spoilers yeah, or but it, for the movie, but it, like it's, it tears your heart out. It's so good. His performance is so, so good. And he's kind of a guy who never really did anything. For as many guys in this movie, they're like that guys who went on to be something like Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, Scatman hey, Crothers. Hey. He
1: went on to be warm tongue.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he was in warm-tongue. The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah you're right. Shout out to Brad okay.
1: Give him some fucking
0: respect, bro. But, like, he didn't get like a big career despite being, I think, the third best actor in this movie. I'm it's, sure he may. because he's ugly. <laughs> okay. All right.
1: Well, not in this a, movie, though. Yeah, but it's. Be, I mean, he in this movie, he's great. just like a little. He's
0: like the hottest guy in this. Yeah, brought, no, that's no, crazy. Danny DeVito over there, he's just smiling, little martini, just walking around this little man. Chris Lloyd serves some big dick. Yeah, he, does, he he's got a okay. He's got big D Number three. <laughs> number three. So number three. This is this might be a surprise to our listeners. <gasps> it's crash. It's crash. Um, number three. Is 2019's Parasite. Wow. Number yes. three. Very well deserved, I will say. So here's the thing. I, whenever I started, I made a very, very rough list going into this. And I put this at like number nine. And I was like, that's probably recency bias. It's going to drop. Have you guys revisited this movie? No, but I think about it all the time. So that's the thing is it has it's been like a parasite in my brain and it's kind of just grown in my brain since watching it. I bought the Criterion for this movie. There aren't many movies like with as much shit as I watch.
1: There aren't many movies that stick in my brain. Like it's very easy for things to fall out of my mind nowadays Mm -hmm. with just the amount of fucking shit that I consume. This fucking movie is just all the way in my brain.
0: I mean, this is a movie that infected the consciousness. Mm -hmm. Like whenever Gaia and I, girlfriend of the pod, drive past the house that has like that hyper geometrical modern shape. We just make jokes like that. That's a parasite house. Like don't go in the basement of that house. Like that is kind of a thing that has just infected my brain that I just think about all the time. Whenever I just see any kind of structures or any kind of symbolisms, I saw like somebody carrying, like, there was some rock where we were at. We were at some, not a museum, maybe it was like a museum or an art exhibit or something. And uh, there was like a giant rock there. I was just like, it's so mer- metaphorical. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> that's the thing about this movie is that the metaphor and the symbolism is both used for humor. And also used to express very, very serious tones. It's so accessible. It's so accessible. Like, that's what I was saying earlier about how the importance of Best Picture Winner, about how it does still have relevance, is that there was just, like, random dudes who watch this who don't watch foreign films. Yeah, and they, and they were able and to they, get into yeah, it and they,
1: really like it. Yeah, they weren't lost because this movie is perfectly crafted. There's not a wasted second of it.
0: And you can read it very surface level as just a family drama of just like ha 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 family invades a uh, poor family invades rich family home and then uh events ensue and you can kind of read it like that and it still works even if you take aside all of the more higher elements that are associated with this movie like it's so so fucking good it just it doesn't fall into the traps that so many other bongs movies as much as i love them and i've always loved director bong but some of his english language films can kind of get bogged down in that in the symbolism of it all like especially snowpiercer very heavy it's very heavy-handed even if i do really love snowpiercer kind of despite that um despite those elements of itself just everything about this movie is perfection. The acting is incredible. Mm. The set and the production designs are just fucking exquisite. It's listen, just uh, listen to our parasite up. Yeah, I was gonna say listen to the parasite up really. And to answer the question that I started off this whole journey with, is Parasite one of the greatest movies to ever win Best Picture? Top three. Yes, it is. Not only that, this is one of the greatest movies of the last fifty years. And I think that's in my top ten movies of all time. So, there's that. Now, let's move on to number two. If something would have befallen me. The Godfather slash The the Godfather Part (laughs) 2, 1972-1974. I had like 45 minutes of Marlon Brando impersonations coming up there. Both of them? Yeah, I do a it tie. Um, wow. It's my fucking list. It's my list. I'm allowed Rachel, to do what I want. Fuck Sean Fennessey. Look, it's my it's my list. I'm allowed to do what not I have want. Done this. <sighs> Who said so?
1: Long, on guys, please. let's not say that stuff.
0: I have in my I have in my notes. I said pairing these two together. I'm allowed to cheat. It's my list, and that's how I feel. Um, sure. It's my list. I'm allowed to do it. I make the rules. Um... I'm going to skip over one thing I do have in my notes. Shame Drew for still not having seen The Godfather. Yeah. So by skipping over that, what the hell are the
1: people at the fucking film program fucking doing? <laughs> you haven't what are they Godfather? thinking? I'm. What are they fucking around? That implies what? that I've watched any of the they, movies I'm supposed to have watched. They just this, they like they go in and nothing. You'd get A's if you're good at writing.
0: Congrats they go you. in and they just like assume That's like a prerequisite that you already took Was watching The Godfather yeah, Look, on you. I got to see
1: I got to see both of these movies On one of the biggest Projection systems at UCF In like one of their main auditoriums It was fucking awesome
0: Oh yeah I'm sure I I know that like Might just be like oh yeah of course They're like classically good but are they your favorites Yes um these are, like, not only two of the greatest movies ever made, but they're also just endlessly fun to watch. Like, they are so much fun. Like, I can't get over that. I feel like too many people try to kind of over-academiize movies to the point where it scares people, especially, like, of our generation that are younger off from movies like The Godfather or anything from the 70s or prior to that. But this movie is like endlessly rewatchable. The fact that there's a cyclical nature to the story, we start with a wedding representing life, and then we end the movie with a funeral and a christening, death and rebirth. It just all works so well. Of course, the cast is just unfucking believable. Al Pacino, dude. Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Conn as Sonny. My guy Fredo, the middle child, that, that really Fredo established what the middle child was in popular culture. Like that wasn't really something that had been tapped into before, and now there's an ungodly amount of media out there that's just like, oh, that's classic middle child right kinda, there.
1: Kinda kinda fending to his own devices a little bit, kinda off on his own. But, but like still incapable
0: tr- of a certain level of autonomy, and that inferiority complex that they have—it's um, just so fucking good. I, <sighs> my girlfriend hates me because I quote The Godfather to her constantly, and she has never seen The Godfather. Where I'll just be like, uh, I'll just—it's mostly Jack Waltz quotes that I'm uh, quoting. Where I'm just like, "Cartoon, I'm not gonna race him." I'm gonna put him out to stud. <laughs> or whenever uh, she does something to me, and she like, like posts a picture of me, or sends a picture of me to her friends, I'm just like, "You made me look ridiculous, and a man in my position cannot afford to be made to look ridiculous."
1: Imagine, it's imagine so being with Hunter.
0: <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, you, literally. If imagine. only, if only. Uh, oh, God. I think she just texted me that we're done. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. Like, I have more quotes on here that I don't even need to go all through. I think that Godfather 1 is the more rewatchable movie. Like, that is the movie that you can just kind of throw on a loop. I could watch that movie once a week, and I don't think I'd ever get tired of it. But 2's got De Niro, baby. But the thing is, I think that 2 is technically a better movie. You don't got any De Niro in one. But I think so. The thing is, I I kind of I really want us maybe next year, uh, depending on what's happening with movies, we can do a Godfather and Godfather Part Two episode because I would love to go into in deep on both of those movies with you guys to kind of figure out which ones are your favorite. And <clears throat> for some of us, watch them for the first time. Um, hey, no shame. Okay. Yeah. I no, it, down, yeah, it is, it's okay that you haven't seen him, yeah. I Yeah. Uh, I wrote down my review that if the Godfather is like comfort food at a Thanksgiving feast, then the Godfather part two is the food coma that you go into afterwards. Mm. Like... <laughs> Godfather Part 2, it's not as much of a fun ride as the first one. Like, you kind That's of a lot just of have, have to... downfall. Yeah, it's sitting there and it's just kind of dealing with the consequences. Well, not necessarily down... Yeah,
1: not as much downfall as consequences. Because he's still... Pacino is still, like, rising. It's oh, yeah. It's just, like,
0: the heaviness
1: of the rise.
0: I think that... Well, I think that Pacino in Godfather Part 2 is arguably the greatest movie performance of all time. Oh, Like, wow. the way that... It's so I think like that's probably Jack Nicholson and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, like these are just some of the like I think indisputably the greatest movie performances ever, aside, taking aside like my personal favorites. The level of nuance that he has in this movie as he is rising in, and I feel like I don't even really want to spoil the plot for Godfather Part Two. Drew, just watch Godfather Part Two already. Jesus Christ. Um but the movie starts very early on with somebody puts a hit out on Michael and the whole movie is like trying to look up, like trying to figure out who it is that put the hit out on Michael. And it's purposefully confusing, which I feel like turns a lot of people off from this movie. It was not nearly as big of a success as the Godfather because it's not quite as accessible as the Godfather was, but because of that, and not to mention, there's also multiple timelines. Like you mentioned, Ernest, Robert De Niro plays young Vito Corleone. He plays the young version of the Marlon, Marlon Brando, uh, which is, I mean, he is so good in this movie. Like it's, not only did he study like what this character was and read the books and everything else, he studied Marlon Brando, not just in the Godfather, but he studied like a ton of Marlon Brando's performances to get down the nuance in the way that he speaks in his cadence and his different mannerisms that he has. And also, uh, only he was the first person ever to win an Academy Award for playing the same role um, as a different person. Do you guys know who is the other person? Do that two uh, actors play the same role and get an Academy Award?
1: Um
0: no clue. I'll give you a hint. Just happened.
1: Just happened.
0: This oh this past year.
1: Oh, oh, uh Gary Oldman. Um no. No? No.
0: Joker. Walking oh Phoenix and Heath Ledger. Oh God, that's right. Second time in history that two different actors playing the same fictional character. Wow, both won. That's that's good. That's one yeah. best actor. Yeah, um, that's a free Wait, one for the next tri- Jeopardy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look up who
1: did. So was Pacino nominated twice mm-hmm. and lost both times? Lost both times. So that's do criminal.
0: criminal.
1: Absolutely so I'm, I'm trying criminal. to look Pacino's up. Cool man.
0: I'm trying well, to look up who he lost. So. To part of the reason why he lost godfather part two this is another whole bit little thing so a lot of the cast of the godfather um specifically marlon brando boycotted the academy because marlon brando has had beef with the academy ever since he wasn't nominated for best actor uh or ever since he didn't win best actor or director for citizen kane it's the thing like a little chip that he's carried on his shoulder his whole life despite the fact that he's what wait most, brando uh, citizen yeah. kane director or not brand, not Brando. No, um, not <laughs> Citizen Kane, What am I thinking of? Um, Streetcar Named Desire. Yes, yes Street yeah, Streetcar Named. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, he's had like this chip on his shoulder for a lot of his career against the Academy, uh. So he didn't show up. So a lot of people think that the reason why he, why Pacino did not win for Godfather Part Two, is it was like a, oh, you don't get this because. You were with him, and you guys don't boycotted us and everything else. And also, is um, that how Marlon Brando talks? No, that's the Academy. That's that's that's, uh, Academy member three uh, who talks like that. But uh, (laughs) that was not my Brando impression.
1: (laughs) Anyways, well, Pacino uh, lost to somebody named Art Carney. For Harry and Tonto for the Godfather Part Two. I, I just fell asleep listening. Fucking
0: criminal. What is Our what Tony. is that? Well, I mean, he's like a classic actor. Mm. So it's a makeup job.
1: Yep. Well, Godfather Part Two did win best picture, best director, best supporting actor for De Niro. Like it
0: it cleaned up around the block. Just not best, best screenplay. Though, which which might have been the best part of all of that in my Mm. opinion in my personal opinion I mean it's probably Coppola is the big winner of the movie but still absolutely incredible I really want to do a whole Godfather app because I could just do so many I have like (laughs) I took them out of the pod but I also or out of this outline that we're on but I also just had like another 40 quotes from the Godfather but I won't do those I'll save that for the Godfather app that we eventually do come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding and number one of my list, can I get a drum roll? You know it. We did a whole podcast episode about it. It's 1981, Silence of the Lambs from Jonathan Demme. Mm-hmm. Clarice, are those Oscars still screaming, Clarice? Yeah. <laughs> um, it puts the lotion on its skin. This is, I, I. Listen to the Silence of the Lambs episode because I could talk for two hours again like we did on the podcast about Silence of the Number Lambs. Number one, huh? It might be Hell my yeah. favorite movie of all time Um, as we talked about on the podcast. I fucking love this movie. It's the second movie on my list that won the big five um, along with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's just, it's so fucking good. Um, the way that it works as this indictment of america itself along with just being a very classic thriller story and this dis the whole themes of dismantling the male bravado and male tendencies towards violence it just it all works so well it's fucking beautiful beautifully crafted i fucking love this movie it's incredible yeah it rocks hard all right so we had the good ones now I'm gonna breeze through these a little bit quicker. Have the lambs stopped screaming? Tom Starling
1: these... has the moblays stopped watching movies. <laughs> he he hasn't.
0: Doctor Lecter, Page and Doctor Lecter. We're now moving into the bottom five. Mm. This is the 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 poop the poop bowl of movies <laughs> poop bowl. Yeah. that I saw here. <laughs> Uh, these movies are ass. I think all of these movies are uh, problematic at best. Um, let's start with number five. It's a movie that I know I'm like 99.999% sure neither of you guys have seen. It's called Tom Jones. My favorite movie. I don't know why you would think that. <laughs> um, it's a movie. It's directed by Tony Richardson starring Albert Finney. Um it's a comedy that's not only is it not funny, but it kind of started. It's one of the first, the earliest movies I've ever seen that just like depends on doing fourth wall breaks for humor. And it just does not fucking now, work. reading about this movie and what you've said about it. It reads
1: like it's just like a dog shit version of Annie Hall.
0: It kind of is like it really, <laughs> like, like
1: a decade before, though. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, it was earlier on, but like it's just not funny. Um, the premise of the movie is that Tom Jones, Albert Finney, is a bastard who's in love with a young woman of class, but they can't be together due to him being an illegitimate son. Cool. So instead of like you know going through a classic hero's journey to like woo her over, win the family over so that they can be wed. He starts, um, by sleeping every woman that he comes into contact with. Yeah. Including, uh, Sophie's cousin. And you might be thinking that's pretty bad, right? Oh no. He also sleeps with his alleged mother because he's a bastard. He did not know his mother. He then finds a woman who he thinks like, oh yeah, you might be my mom. And they fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. And on top of all of that, um, there is a horrible rape joke in here where Tom Jones is having sex with a woman. And he's just like, oh, people are after me. I got to get out. And so like he like escapes through the window and a man comes in. The woman's still like in a nightgown. And the guy looks at the camera. And he goes, hey, hey. And then like blows out the candle and like jumps into the bed with this woman. And this got best picture. Best picture. Hunter. A rape joke. <laughs> yes. I couldn't, it blew my mind while watching this how, like, offensively awful this was. Uh. It's just, like, it's really lazily written. Like, some of the fourth wall breaks, it's literally just a person turning to the camera. It's just like, now Tom is talking to this person, and he realized that this person is connected to this person. It's like, okay, cool. That would have been great to see a movie that showed that. This is a bad movie. I hated this movie. I don't care. It's on the Criterion Collection. So like I had some hopes going okay. into it. All right, I'll um, check it out. <laughs> it's not good. Number um, 4. Number 4. It's funny to even call this a movie but it did win Best Picture. Tom
1: Jones won 4 Oscars.
0: Yeah. Fuck. It's a bad movie. I don't care what anybody says. It got some critical acclaim because people are like, "Oh, it's so like revolutionary." No. Uh. I don't care. It's a bad movie. Next up. <laughs> it's a little, uh, film, I guess called the greatest show on earth. Um, this is directed by C- Cecil B mill, Cecil B DeMille. Um, and you might be thinking the greatest show on earth. Is that like, uh, Barnum? Is that just like a circus thing? And yes, it is. Um, this is not a movie. That's my number one complaint with this thing is that it's not a movie. It's an advertisement for the circus. Mm. Like there's just, it's, it would have been like a pretty compelling infomercial that would have made me want to like, oh, let's go on down to the circus and get some peanuts and, and go see the high flyers. But <laughs> it's not that it's it's trying to be a movie and there's just like three or four different plot lines that all kind of lead to nothing there's this clown uh who's just like was a murderer who like murdered his wife and then ran off to the circus who's tried to be portrayed as like a sympathetic character not to mention the sexism is a back whole back then other that thing. was
1: like the most diplomatic way to leave your wife was to kill her <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah just kill her and run off and join the circus be yeah. a clown man
1: <laughs> that's just how it was in the 50s also every guy was named Cecil <laughs> man I think that
0: humankind really peaked right then. that time period. Why are we here now? Um, A couple other uh, lines of sexism that I just had to throw in here. At one point, a character says, I never knew a woman could fill a pipe. And then it says, keeping with the rape theme of Tom Jones, the girl may say no, but the woman in her means yes. So number three. (laughs) That's the correct response. Number three is another tie, uh, but they tie in together perfectly. It is the second movie to ever win Best Picture, the Broadway Melody from 1929 and 1958's Gigi. Um, I called this in the outline, the Women Have No Agency Bowl. Uh, Broadway Melody uh, is the movie... I, again, it's the second movie to win Best Picture. I almost stopped after this movie. Like, I saw this movie, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I made a mistake. I need to back the fuck out before I get in too late. Um, not only is it boring or extremely dated, and the humor in this film derives from just, like, making fun of a guy with a stutter, uh, the central theme of this movie is that if you have a more attractive sibling then you should not only allow your boyfriend or fiance to run off with your more attractive sibling. You should actually encourage that. And you should be happy that that other person is, gets to be with a more attractive person who happens to be your sibling. Yeah. Um, the acting is fucking atrocious it's it's just a bad movie like i said it's a musical there's like five songs in it and all of them are just nothing like it made me think in my notes i'm just like was every song written before the 1940s just fucking awful like it's all just like (laughs) it's the broadway melody yeah yeah music was really bad terrible it's so bad like what were they doing yeah instruments existed then like we didn't have to just do that
1: nah the the only instrument like the the bass back then was just a guy being like dip, do, do, dip, do.
0: <laughs> like big bands were a ba, thing
1: ba, 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 ba.
0: like there was still a big band big bands have like some good like some early jazz kind of stuff no none of that's in this it's just it's fucking awful um the next one that ties into this is Gigi. Um, it's the tale of a womanizing bachelor in Paris who gets jealous of a man, uh, for stealing his possible lover who he was not dating or even talking to at the time he has had an infatuation with. Um, and then he finds the woman and guilt[s] her so bad that she attempts suicide yeah. and all the people around him are like really proud of him. And they're like, yeah, she's the first of many for you, bud to attempt suicide. Yes, to because you know, you should always like if you're a guy, you should definitely like you want to encourage as many women to commit suicide because of you as possible. Um it gets worse than that. Uh Gigi uh is introduced as this significantly younger woman, a woman in her teens. At this point um the protagonist of this movie is probably in his like early thirties or so. So he falls in love with a teenager, which, you know, maybe it's love first sight thing. I don't know. Things were different back then. Um, no, he, uh, had a friendly relationship with her when she was a very, very young child. I'm talking like five, six, seven. And he would always call her like, yeah, you're my little sister. And she'd be like, yeah, big brother, Mm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And big yeah, brother, they end up falling big brother, I'm, in love I'm stuck in the wash rack And you might be thinking, how could this Ass up. How could this possibly get any worse? Well, if you look at the executive producer of this movie Arthur Freed um, He has a slew of child sexual abuse allegations oh, That no. came out after the making of this movie Oh, And that's only number three, folks Yeah, it's gonna get worse from here um, Well, two. Uh, it's kind of a different type of worse In a lot of ways Number two, I have the race relations for dummies bowl. That's right. We're talking driving Miss Daisy against Green Book. Which one is worse to you? Driving Miss Daisy. Okay. I think driving Miss Daisy. I think Green Book, as much as I think it's a horrible movie, like you can still be like, these are actors who are giving a good performance. The material is just ass. Mm. Like, and the thing is, the downfall of Green Book, probably the biggest knock against it is that it is a broad mass appeal movie. I vividly remember seeing this movie in theaters. It was packed. It was opening weekend. There was an average age of about 54 in the audience and people fucking ate that movie up. It got a standing ovation whenever I saw this movie in the theaters. Really? Yes. Ugh. Um. But what's more baffling about this movie is that 30 years prior to it, there was the exact same movie. It was driving Miss Daisy. It wants so badly to really delve into this exploration of race relations, but it's just actively harmful. Like it's really, excuse me, Jesus Christ. We've been potting for too long. The burps are coming up. Um, it's just a really toxic movie That is dangerous and it shares that I I put these two together for obvious reasons because they're kind of the same movie, but also because they're movies that aren't just like not really saying anything meaningful about racism, but they're kind of really minimizing what it is to be racist. I went in, and uh, whenever I was doing my Green Book review, I read a review from uh, New York Times critic Wesley Morris, who called Green Book a racial reconciliation fantasy, which is perfect, because he says, like, by awarding this movie the top prize, it's legitimizing the core message of this movie, and same with Driving Miss Daisy, which is, white people can change to be less racist, but only if it's on the white man's terms, which is inherently what that's that is racist in itself that like you don't get to choose when I stop being racist. Like, no, that's a thing that fucking it's happening right now.
1: Or it's like just just enough amount of racism. Like you're allowed to be just like a little bit. racist. Yeah, you're
0: allowed to be a little bit racist. Uh, no, so speaking fucked. to that, uh, Driving Miss Daisy really gets in that. Um, it, Driving Miss Daisy is also just a worse made movie. Um, there's a three scene arc in West Jessica Tandy. Uh, who is a Jewish woman, uh, Miss Daisy herself. Her synagogue gets bombed. The very next scene, she attends an MLK speech. Uh, Oh, keep in mind, she's been racist, like actively racist, accusing Morgan Freeman of stealing shit in her house and everything, all movie. Are
1: are you accusing a Jewish woman of being racist?
0: I'm accusing Miss Daisy of being racist. Um, So her synagogue gets bombed. She attends a Martin Luther King speech. And then she gets dementia and declares that Morgan Freeman is her best friend. That all happens back to back to back. Like, just one after another. It's unbelievable. I can't believe that this movie happened. And then the same thing happened 30 years later. It's unbelievable. Well, at
1: least number one has its hands uh, washed of all that stuff.
0: Yeah. So, number one... Let's go. Let's get another drum roll. Can we get some air horns? What's what's the opposite of air horns? Like fart noises? Like... <laughs> you know what it is. You know it. You love to see it. I love it. It had to be the number, the number 92 of 92 movie on here. It's 2004's Crash. Yeah. And to be frank, it's not close. Which is saying <laughs> a lot given all of the other movies that I've talked about here. Because like not only is this the worst Best Picture movie, I think this is like one of the worst movies of the 21st century, if not like and one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Best fucking that's, picture. So that's what's baffling to me. I understand. I Whenever Drew and I saw this movie in a freshman film class, and we did not hate it whenever we saw it, because the thing is that we did not see a lot of good movies at that time. So like, yeah, we should have known. It's bad. But... What I don't understand is how did critics miss this movie so bad? Roger Ebert, they the king, it. had he had this movie above Brokeback Mountain. Like he gave this movie a bare review. Bitches be homophobic. Like, I just I don't I don't understand like what happened. This movie won best screenplay. I cannot get over that because That's really crazy. This is the worst screenplay, like, ever written. It's fucking awful. Like it just. I said my thing like it handles the subject of race relations with all the subtlety of like a war hammer hitting a skull. Like there is just no room for any kind of nuance. There's a point in the movie where William Fitchner is talking to Don Cheadle uh, about a crime that occurred and he just tells Don Cheadle like fucking black people. Am I right? Yeah, that that's why I hate three billboards it's yeah no it really does share a lot with three billboards three yeah. billboards is a better movie than crash but yeah still.
1: no uh because there's an at least some humor in that movie but yeah it's just like that's not why racism is scary anymore you can't portray the modern world and be like yeah this is like it's just so so poorly done it's written by whites you know
0: yeah oh it's more than like i just i don't understand like what this movie's trying to say. Like there's an incredible cast in this movie. There's Sandra Bullock, Don cheeto Matt Dillon, William fitch Brendan, Brendan Fraser, <laughs> Michael Peña, Terrence Howard, Tandy Newton, Terrence <laughs> Ludacris, I guess, you know. Um there's so many great actors, but like the screenplay is so bad that like if you take Matt Dillon's character, for example, early on in the movie, he sexually assaults Tandy Newton. And then in the third act, he saves Tandy Newton from a burning car. And we're just supposed to be like, yeah, he's a redeemable character now. No, fuck you. You're a cop. Congratulations on doing your job. How about you don't sexually assault people? It's terrible. Um, It works a little bit better if you view it as a farce. But even then, uh, it's, it's problematic at best and deeply harmful at worst. Like, it is really just unbelievable i went on a rant about this movie uh like a month or two ago whenever i watched it because i couldn't even wait until we did this podcast it's just it's just unbelievably bad it's not even like a fun bad thing like it it made me so angry after watching this movie that's the bottom five that's it Um,
1: um we gotta wrap this up we're going so long
0: it's it's our gift, it's our Christmas episode. It's it's a gift for the fans. Um, what's the most overrated
1: movie
0: that you saw? Overrated movie. Let me look at my list real quick. My my big board here. Um pfft. That's tough cuz it depends overrated kind of changes with like the decade. Like I feel like things like, um, I don't know. I'm trying to look on here. Things what about like, underrated? Like I so like for example, like in the 2000s, like Chicago would have been an under overrated movie, but now it's become just kind of maligned. Like I feel like because a lot of these movies came out so long ago, now they are kind of properly rated, a little bit better. Um, underrated. I'd probably go with Amadeus outside of that. um,
1: Midnight Cowboy.
0: Midnight Cowboy. Another, actually, you know what? I'll give a shout out to one movie. Um, It's a movie called The Last Emperor, which have you guys ever heard of this? Yeah. Uh, Bernardo Bertolucci. Um, Not only is the cast incredible, uh, it has, I think, like one of my favorite scores of all time. Shout out to the guy, Ryuichi Sakamoto, my favorite classical composer ever. Uh, I listened to his his music a lot, which is strange to say for a composer, but I fucking love the score and the movie works great. It honestly, I wanted to put this in my top ten. I just didn't quite have space for it. What's the best movie year? Is it oh seven? So I'm gonna I'm going to look at this. Um, Well, okay. So we can tie this in real quick to what I was going to do. I'm going to skip over all the honorable mentions because I have a bunch of honorable mentions on here. But whenever I was doing my best Oscar years ever, 1975 is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, Nashville. That's insane. That's so good. 1976, The Next Year, Rocky, All the Presidents in. Network, Taxi Driver, Bound for Glory back oh. to back years the thing is rocky one rocky might be the worst movie out of that bunch which is crazy because rocky is a classic fucking love rocky no i do too but i think that also all the presidents men, been network taxi driver what um 94 uh forrest gump four weddings and a funeral pulp fiction quiz show shawshank redemption that's, great. that's a great one 2007 though it's it's got to take it no country for old men there will be blood michael clayton juno and atonement no zodiac fuck no no zodiac dude i love juno i don't know where you guys stand on juno but i think juno is fucking incredible like it it inspired a bunch of movies that are worse than it but juno holds up so well i really love that movie yo also shout out to 2017 shape of water which one phantom thread get out ladybird call me by your name dunkirk darkest hour and then you have the post and three billboards but it gets it gets a little bit tough uh the last few years with the extended pool Mm because you get a couple of like even like last year was a great slate you had parasite marriage story little women once upon a time in hollywood 1917 the irishman jojo rabbit ford versus ferrari joker like there's a bunch of bangers in there too What's I think it, it it's between seventy five and oh seven,
1: really. Which one would you give it to if you had to? Probably seventy five.
0: <sighs> I don't know. I'll take a vote, Drew. What do you think between nineteen seventy five I mean, or two thousand seven? One flu, one flu. Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, in Nashville. That's so good. Seventy five. Call it. Yeah yeah i think that 75 is the correct answer although i do love 07 like no country there will be blood michael clayton juno atonement
1: yeah, no ratatouille though it's gonna take a hit
0: <laughs> if well yeah if we're doing well, best movie year it's a different no story, but this is best oscar right. nominee best if you do year. look at best movie year it is insane how many movies came out in 2007 like some other movies that came out that year were assassination Jeppy james Babel, zodiac the host the mist Pan's Labyrinth got an international release that year. Yeah. Super Bad, Walk Hard, Hot Rod, Ratatouille. Imagine
1: if people, if uh, the Academy thought that comedies were movies. That's right. Wouldn't that be crazy?
0: I but was, I mean, Juno was nominated that year, though. Of, of those 12 movies I list, how many of those would be your number one in the year 2020? Because almost all of them would just be my number one if they came out this year. And, uh, if I had seen a movie Not this to mention year. No Country, which won Best
1: Picture. What is the most important movie to have won Best Picture?
0: I think that it's 1969. I think that it's... Um, Midnight i think cowboy. that's midnight cowboy it,
1: it was just the biggest shift
0: yeah i mean there are a bunch of tonal shifts like that marked a moment like the godfather part two i, I think that if the godfather part two didn't win i don't think that lord of the rings return of the king would have won because i think godfather part two winning opened up a door that you could win if you're a sequel what's the most egregious loss Mm. Is this social network losing to King Speech? <sighs> That's definitely the most recent one. Let me look at my bad beats that I had written on here real quick. I mean, there's a bunch of them. King's Speech beating out social network is rough. How green was my valley losing beating out Citizen Kane and Maltese Falcon. Dances with Wolves beating out goodfellas. That one's rough. My Fair Lady, which I talked about earlier, beat Doctor Strange Love, Crash Over Brokeback Mountain. Um, Gandhi beating out E.T. or Tootsie. Uh, Spotlight being out Mad Max Fury Road. I, I love Spotlight. I like it a lot. It's not as good as Mad Max, but, Oh, you know. not even close. Um, but. oh, here's one, um, from 2001. A Beautiful Mind one. Very, I, I don't, I, I don't really even know how I feel about Beautiful Mind. It's fine. It's not great. I'm not a big Ron Howard guy, but.
1: I mean, it's no, uh you know that movie he put out this year what's that even called the one he's putting out oh hillbilly hillbilly elegy that i'm very excited for oh jesus christ um beautiful mind beat up watch that watch that win best picture i'm gonna in
0: hell i'm gonna have to write a full review i'll start over my list again. i think i think like the upfront reviews have been so
1: bad i don't they, think it can yeah.
0: i think it might get acting nominations because that seems to kind of transcend whether a movie's good or bad that's but, fair that's but um, you know
1: the the pendulum you know you got to go from
0: parasite
1: it, back this, to poo-poo. The, yeah back to fucking hillbilly so yeah.
0: um so a beautiful mind beat out fellowship of the ring and then Training Day, which was not nominated, despite Ethan Hawke and Denzel both being nominated. Oh. And fucking Mulholland Drive, which was not nominated. And Ron Howard beat David Lynch in the Best Director category, which I think that that's why I hate Ron Howard, is that I'll always have this resentment in my head. One other um bad beat that I just wanted to read on here, it's a bad beat that you would never expect. I have a movie called Mrs. Miniver, which is a movie I really liked from 1942. Um... And it follows, like, a British woman who's supporting soldier in World War II. But it's a bad beat, because this movie is widely credited for increasing American support of World War II. And, in fact, Winston Churchill uh, reportedly said that this was more important to the war effort than entire fleet of battleships in getting <laughs> America to join the war. My vote is for Crash. <laughs> the, the Well, lo- Crash winning a single goddamn thing is is awful. I mean, there's a bunch of them on here like The English Patient, a movie I don't like beat out Fargo, Jerry Maguire and Shine. Uh the, let's look through some other Shakespeare in Love, which I did I didn't hate that movie even beat though it's it um, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. I I'll be honest, I think Saving Private Ryan's a little bit overrated. It's better than Shakespeare in Love, but whatever.
1: The last thing I wanted to say about the Oscars is that I remember seeing Return of the King fucking clean up. I vividly remember those Oscars. I was probably like 10 years old or something like that. And when I saw that shit as a little boy, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. And every year after that, I was chasing that high of seeing The Return of the King win everything at the Oscars and nothing ever got close to it. But every year I would tune in to the Oscars and be like, "Okay, is this going to be another year where I feel that same rush that I felt when I saw the third Lord of the Rings movie, win everything including best picture, and I never got close to it." And as I got older, every year I just lost a little bit of that love. But like I was saying earlier, like That was how I gauged what to watch because nowadays, like when I going into award season, I already know everything. We already know everything that's going to be nominated and pretty much what's going to win. But in those days, I would watch the Oscars and that's how I knew what to fucking tune into. And it was because of Return of the King. That was the telecast that fucking hooked me. And every year I looked forward to to chasing that high and nothing ever reached it until eventually I pretty much just fell off from watching and I stopped giving a shit. And it only, and it's only been until recently when we started getting together and doing these Oscar parties and you know, the last like four or so years that my interest in the Oscars has been like reinvigorating. Cause there was a while there when like, when Birdman won and when, uh, Spotlight won, when I was just like, what
0: the fuck is the fucking we point here? We were still here. watching those movies, though, because we were living... We are watching the movies, bo- but not the telecast. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 that's fair. Because I remember, like, I was big in the Birdman camp over uh, Boyhood. Like, and even Whiplash. Got, well, Whiplash never stood a chance at Best Picture, unfortunately, um, in my opinion. But I... So, I do actually remember the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Amazing. Legendary. Uh, telecast, because... I had an older stepbrother and that was in telecast Was in February or March. And for some reason I was up in my, at my dad's house and he was a huge Lord of the Rings guys read the books, was super into the movies. And that's why I think that I set out on the pod. I'm pretty sure return of the King might've been the first one that I saw. Um, and so I remember like he had the telecast on and I like watched it with him and like it being a huge deal. I still followed the Oscars a little bit. Like I never saw crash until I became an adult and stuff like that. But I kind of fell off in the like post no country until about 2013 range. Cause I just remember like at that point I was kind of tuned out. I was like a black and white silent movie. One best picture. No, I'm done. Like I was out. Argo. Yeah. Argo. Argo brought me back in. (laughs) I was like, who's going to win between Argo and zero dark 30. Talk about nothing false dichotomy of movies, Jesus Christ! Oh, the argue is fun. Don't want to interrogate the ethics of that movie, but you know it's fine. Am I, and like psychotic for putting this much weight into what this amorphous blob of a body does and what they choose to honor? Probably, but as soon as COVID passes and that Academy Museum opens up, you better fucking bet I'm booking In a flight Angeles, to L.A. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well. We're happy for you. Thank I'm you. Happy for you. Honey. I'm glad that you did it. I'm glad that I could give the audience like a fat three hour episode where it was just me talking for eighty five percent. Yeah, it what people two, always wanted. Two forty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. Well, no, maybe three.
0: Yeah. Why not?
1: Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this whole time. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Hope you stay well. Hope you stay safe. Please stick around for the end of the year. We're talking Wonder Woman. We're talking Soul. And then we got our big end of the year wrap up, Listomania. If you have any thoughts on any of these Best Picture uh, winners, please email us at, at gmail.com. Yeah. Follow us at weboughtamike on Twitter. Keep on. Keep in mind that everything that you disagree with was Hunter's opinion. Like, mm-hmm. he, this is all like anything you agree with. Actually, me and Ernest uh, came up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually love Crash. So <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you if you the listener love Crash. then yeah, actually, I you love didn't it too. really.
0: Well, from what I remember, you've talked about you don't really like Spielberg's sympathetic portrayal of the Holocaust and Schindler's. List. I think it's
1: very rewatchable. Actually, you can just pop that in whenever. That and is. it's just <laughs> others that. You know those doctors. You know Amer- America ended up using all those doctors after after you know we took the Nazis over. That's a lot like when the Bulls picked up Rodman from the Bad
0: Boy Pistons. You know you take your enemy, you make him your friend. Please rate, review, subscribe. Oh hey, um, if you uh, if you guys want to, because I wrote sixty thousand words. If you care to know any more about my thoughts, I uh, wrote and reviewed every single movie on my letterbox, including a full comprehensive list from 1 to 92 of every movie to win best picture so check that out on there Spielberg had the best holocaust of all time
1: was it worth it to, to get this movie <laughs> it, was it Madonna in the
0: 80s who, who blew the bigger lead was it was it Hitler doing that I guess or was it the 2016 Warriors now you have to keep this this stuff from
1: earlier, and or else this this won't <laughs> be introduced as Bill Simmons talking about to Hitler interviewing. We'll plug others. it at the end. All right, love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: I'm kind of surprised that this is in my subjective top 10, to be honest. But whenever I rewatched this movie, it was probably the f- third or fourth time that I'd seen it. Mm. I hadn't seen it since I think it's out in 2018 when they did like a 35 year remastered version that the they put theaters. out in theaters. This is a big rewatchable. Well, so the thing is that it is more rewatchable than you expect it to be for the subject matter. Really which had kind of the best. Holocaust of all time.
1: Oh, no. Jesus Christ!
0: Bill Simmons. <laughs> Bill Simmons is a Holocaust dude. <laughs> oh, I don't think we're gonna make it on the ringer now. After that, <laughs> which with which death camp was the best one?
1: <laughs> oh, Give me. Oh God. Auschwitz <laughs> at least <laughs> happy. Uh, I mean, it's different eras. You can't really compare, them, but uh, the numbers of Auschwitz are just outrageous. Uh, no. <laughs> I think the Nazis really peaked in the ghetto era. You know, Mengalev, he, he, he was a lot like the the Robert Parrish of <laughs> of of the third Reich. You know, he doesn't get enough credit. He really he was really running things like without without Mengelev, they they just don't kill six million. You gotta admit it.
0: Who broke my legs in there? Came. Mengelev. Luka Doncic <laughs> This is the worst thing We've ever done We tell the Jews That we're gonna set them free And then we actually Take them to a death <laughs> camp Who says no
1: uh, uh. <laughs> I mean Crystal Docked, Like uh, That must have been A big night for you man Right <laughs> He's talking like Hitler
0: <laughs> him, him interviewing Goebbels <laughs>
1: Oh no dude bill bill totally gets fucking hitler on the pot yeah i mean yeah yeah i mean hitler like, he, Cri- crystal knox gotta be like game one of the finals you win by 30 like you're you're up so big you're like we're gonna take this thing what happened
0: man game seven you just you lost it who had the bigger the biggest collapse adolf hitler or the 27 16 Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> so like he, i mean you got it know like
1: you, when you're when you're shaving that mustache, everybody, you're thinking like this is the Hitler thing, right?
0: <laughs> like you know, you know. And then this fucking Michael Jordan, and then does Michael Jordan does it, a fucking Haynes commercial. You I got you got to be pissed. I know
1: out. you think you're up there with Napoleon, but.